Feeling fishy, finding chemo, smoking seaweed for calm. These Disney movies too close. He tied an email, no name. Thank you for your sweet telephone. It saves lives. The secret is I'm actually broken. I tried to raise a healer, kneeling at the edge of the ocean. Somebody, somebody said it saves lives. Who holds my hand at night? I think the glass half full. Who bring me back to Inglewood? I shouldn't bleed this good. Holy conundrum. It is December 15th, 2018, and welcome to part two of the top 50 wrestlers of 2018 special countdown, whatever the fuck I want to call it. I am Quentin Moody, per usual, and with me to join me because who else would do something as stupid and ridiculously um, obsessive as this? But uh, Timothy, Luchan Dead. This week in wrestling, how are you? I'm doing good. I know Brock is afraid of doing anything this ridiculous. He never would, you know, do double the amount about matches, which is ridiculous (laughs) to me. Okay. Uh, So we had some, a little bit of issues yesterday. (laughs) That was scary. Oh, I was super fucking worried. We have to redo the whole part one. Yeah. All right, but everything has worked out. I believe you've... uh, changed your setup or moved whatever it was called yeah, the yeah. issue last night yeah there'll be no more issues now we left off uh yesterday at our 31s and uh your 31 i believe was someone that i had um higher yeah higher no thing about shannon baszler yes we're gonna get who are gonna get to in a little bit so uh my 30 here to kick us off is slim J. Um, Slim J did not make my 50. He was in the running, probably not super high, 69, which does make sense for Slim J in a weird way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's had a lot of good work and I think he's done really well, but I also think that he's, he's developed a lot and he really is good at what he does, but there's something about him that's a little dated, um, to me. And I know that that's stupid, but it really is. It's not just his character, but it's also kind of what he represents and everything. And I just, I think that what he's doing is good. And I think that he's actually doing a great job of helping build people, but he's, you know, he's in a position to kind of be de-emphasized on. And I think that he's in some ways being a little bit focused on, and that's not a bad thing. And honestly, it's not like saying that his career has to be over or whatever, but it just, it, it's not, he's doesn't feel like on the upswing, which is always something that in, kind of invigorates my feelings on wrestlers is feeling like they're on the upswing well for me with slim J, he's a guy that um the last couple of years with um, when he's popped up whether it was um the fred Yeh high series in 2015 the stuff with jimmy jimmy ray that'll pop up in um places like uh marquee wrestling and um uh yb wrestle against uh kevin blue in that tlc match he's had scattered stuff over the years where it reminds you like oh yeah Slim J is still really great. And I think this is the first year where I've gotten um more than just a couple of glimpses of how good Slim J can be. Now, that's not to say that there's a whole bunch of it. You know, there's still um really um a handful of PWX matches, um uh some stuff from Anarchy and whatsoever, but the thing about Slim J for me is that he really he can do anything and I think that was not a huge eye opener, but when you go out there and you see him wrestling guys like a uh, Darius Lockhart and Ethan Case, you see him going out there um, 
with someone that could be viewed as like a world-class technician at this at this stage like Darius Lockhart and uh keeping up with him just fine when it came to, when it comes to wrestling on the mat I guess for me with Slim J it comes down to the fact that uh this late into the game 15 17 going on 20 years in wrestling you know being part of um a lot of that early ROH class um coming in um with a lot of that early 2000 Southern contingent is that Slim J has always been perennially underrated as far as um what he offers. And he was always one of the better uh, spot guys in wrestling, I thought. One of the better athletic guys. And could offer more than I think was uh, given to him in a lot of places. You know, it's not to say that um I think he would have thrived just as well. Because I think a lot of what made Amazing Red of who he is that he could sell. But I think you could have given... um. Slim J, a lot of the same chances you could have, you gave Amazing Red, and Slim J could have done just as well in some of those. So, to see Slim J all these years later, and for a few years he had like scattered, scattered opportunities, um, like the 2015 Fred J. High series that, uh, kind of put Fred J. High on the map, uh, stuff versus Jimmy Rave and Kevin Blue, whether it was, uh, in Marquee Wrestling or YB Wrestle or stuff like that. That you saw that Slim J was still really good, but they were uh, real uh, slim pickings, as at least, and not to make a pun here, on what was out there and available to watch from him. And this is one of those years where we actually got a little bit more footage of Slim J, uh, with him working more on PWX, Anarchy, and the and that stuff all being on Powerbomb. So even if it's not a ton of Slim J footage. Every time I watch him, is seeing a guy that's late into the state, just late into the game. He can keep up and do the high pace, frenetic energy, uh, spot based stuff and um, big finisher kickouts and all that athletic wrestling against guys like a uh, Cam Carter and Ike Cross can bump all over the place. Great flying, uh, really unique and innovative spot still for a guy his age and this late in the game. He can still keep up with a guy like Darius Lockhart, who people might view as a world-class technician at this stage in his career. And he's a, he really can do everything for you. He can thrive in anything. I think if you gave Slim J a chance to be a top guy somewhere, he really could be a top guy. Because he's shown that he can go in main events. He can work mid-card stuff. He can work the opening. He can work in tags. He can obviously do scrambles because of how uh, insanely athletic and... um bouncy he is and to me seeing slim j sort of emerge as he's still one of the absolutely most talented wrestlers on the planet was really cool to, cool for me to see this year you know 2019 you know we've mentioned the powerbomb tv loop a couple of times and i'd love to see slim j be able to make it across some um, more places um, in the powerbomb tv uh and all those in all those promotions uh that they're aligned with and uh, have relationships with because i feel like slim j brings a lot to the table and can be a real bolster to any promotion that brings him in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's been a big, big, important cog in the system for attack for action, which has been a really great promotion on the powerbomb group and all that that you're just talking about. So yeah, I mean, he could, he could, and probably honestly could end up higher for me um, next year as well. If he keeps that up. Um, so my number 30, you might have higher, but you also might not Shingo Takage. Yeah. Shingo didn't make my list. Did not. Okay. Um, I could definitely see why, just because a little bit scattered stuff, really, his premium stuff. Early in the year in Attack, or in Dragon Gate, I keep trying to say Attack, 
pro wrestling. I don't know why. Um, in Dragon Gate, um, he was de-emphasized after having a really killer run as champion, like a couple years. Oh, God, it feels like it's probably already like two years ago where he was really on top um, with his championship run there in Dragon Gate. Um, really defocused early in the year in Dragon Gate, then gets to go off to the Champion Carnival where he had a bunch of phenomenal matches in the Champions Carnival. Um, really just brought it, especially um, the Hino match I fucking loved. Um, the Doring match, obviously, I liked a lot. The Bodyguard match. The Shuji Shikawa match wrote a lot. Yeah, the Shuji Shikawa match was great. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, Nomura. Oh yeah, the Nomura match, which I probably didn't even i didn't even think of um yeah so i mean had a lot of really great matches there felt energized felt like maybe we'd get something and actually a little bit when he first kind of was back in dragon gate after that it seemed like he had some vigor but then kind of again kind of settled into you know that he was not the the focal point um great run in bola this year huge star power um in some of the best matches of the whole weekend repeatedly so made it all the way to the finals. So, I mean, he was just in killer matches every night. I mean, from the first night, having what I think was probably, like I said, match of the weekend for me, if I'm being honest, um, in the tag team match against Ringkampf. Um, and then from there, you know, on the second night, the Ilya match uh, would not be my match of the night there, but really good stuff and really just fucking hard-hitting awesomeness. Third night, feeling like a big-time workhorse. Um giving up giving up the dream matches with eagles for me and for eagles dream matches for us too um dream match for walter you know for a lot of people probably that was a match they were really excited to see um and then being a important part of the triple threat even though Cobb and bandito felt like the guys especially bandito it felt like shingo was giving the rub to them with the history that he has in in pwg um, even if he's, you know, not Shima, he's never won Bola before. He's been in PWG before. He's known and he's respected. So huge stuff. Then I thought that coming into New Japan, I mean, again, it was like breathe a new life into the guy. Um, the, the junior tag league stuff was all really good. He's just been great in the tag matches, even in just the tag matches. I'm just excited to see what we get as we get more, if as we get singles matches out of Shingo in New Japan. Because so far, primarily only doing tag matches, he's been really good already. And that's like, a lot of those tag matches are boring, but he's been standing out um, in a lot of them to making stuff like more interesting. Um, and Ingo Bernables were probably like my least favorite group in New Japan um, early in this year, last year too. Just like they're, especially their kind of multi-man throwaway matches, just all we seemed fucking just so samey and repetitive but having shingo there standing out was has been really good um so yeah like that's that's added to his case a lot of stuff for me just like he's i think having a weird he almost a possibility of having a career resurgence right now which is interesting because like i said it wasn't that long ago that we were like talking about him being the amazing champion uh, in yeah like, dragon in, in 2015 in, in 2016 like Really, reasonably, very reasonably, you could say that Shingo Takagi was like the best wrestler from uh, August 2015 to about December 2016, like being like the best wrestler in the world from that stretch of time. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's yeah, and so it's just it's funny to think of like saying that he's having a career resurgence when it wasn't that long ago that you could almost say he was at the height of his powers, you know. So mm. it's just interesting because I think that he's he's in a place to start maybe showing off a little bit more it'll be interesting what they do with him in in new japan you know um 
if they keep him in the juniors or or what because even in best of the super juniors i think he could bring a lot of interesting matches and then if you know for some reason they were smart enough to put him in the g1 i think he would freshen that up a lot too see look with shingo it's like i i think what makes it interesting and really there's you just don't know what happens with shingo and i think that's what makes uh him being on the new japan roster so unique is that you could have a theory that the only reason he's um even messing around with the juniors right now is because Herman was like, ah, she is hurt. Right. Like you can have it, like you can reasonably deduce that if Herman was, if Herman wasn't hurt, that he may might maybe not even be an LIJ right now. He might be doing something else, but then you can also look at it. Well, as Osprey is very clearly getting moved up, um, into the heavyweight stuff, uh, facing Ibushi for the never title at Wrestle Kingdom. Very possible that Osprey is in the G1, and if you're moving Osprey, who's been such a pivotal cog in the junior division for so long now, that having a having a Shingo uh, to help bolster the roster makes sense. So, you know, I think Shingo would thrive in anything, anything given to him. I think Shingo can go in there and mix it up with your Okadas and Tanahashis and uh, Omegas and Abushis and Suzukis and all that stuff. But he can go in there and he can still wrestle Kushida and Ishimori and the guys that they have there in that division. So, I don't know. Shingo's future is so up in the air right now. But I, I have so much faith in his talent that I'm glued to whatever he's going to wind up doing. Yeah, and, and with New Japan being the way it's been, I mean, it's been so fucking boring. I mean, for me at least, I just am... So much stuff is the same. Like, having him in the mix next year more and more, I think, could help breathe life into the promotion. Mm. All right. My 29 is the person that uh, was supposed to be, well, that was your 31 as we ended part one. Ah. My number 29 is Shayna Baszler. Like, literally a couple spots higher. Yeah, and you were acting like you had her so, it was so crazy how low I had her. <laughs> um, It's more like, relatively, like, Shayna's always been your girl. So, right. so, so like, me even, like, me having Shayna um, higher than, uh, than you, me having Joey Janela higher than you, like, those are things that definitely are catching me off guard as um, as we're going down the list. Well, yeah, and especially when you mention that, like, um, comparatively, uh, um, just like how much I have been behind her and the way that she works and everything like that, and then also with you being checked out of the uh, the U.S. Indies and stuff, yeah, Joey Janela and Shayna being higher on my list is interesting. But for me, with Shayna, I think now I don't think these matches were necessarily duds. They were really well worked, but the stuff, but the couple of matches with Ember Moon, while they were really good and really well worked, I think they just weren't meant for takeovers necessarily. At least the first one wasn't. The first one was very much meant to be a TV match or should have been a TV match. But even with that being said, Shane is someone where performance after performance she just delivers to me, and I think I finally saw what people were, like you were seeing in Shane last year when people were um, seeing in Shane last year, in that. A lot of people, that Io Shirai match was like the big, like, oh, yeah, Shayna Baszler is really that good. For me, it was that um, Tony Storm match from uh, yeah, from uh, the um, second night of the NXT UK special that they ran. And seeing Shayna have that quality of a match with someone in Tony Storm, like, who you, knew, who you know very well, like, I'm not, I'm not like, super fond of, you know, that really was an eye-opener for me. Yeah, so, you know, go, going back and rewatching those Ember Moon matches, I actually like the Nikki Cross match. Again, it's a match that I think would have worked better on NXT TV, 
but it's a really well worked match and I really like the ideas that are in this match. I really like the Dakota Kai stuff, you know, for as short lived as it is, I really enjoy it. Obviously like the Kyrie Hojo stuff, like every single interaction and match they've had this year has been excellent. But when you look at it, Shayna doesn't have the volume. And this is where it kind of turns into like the way that you view wrestling or the way that you approached wrestling this year for, for at least for your wrestling of the year list. And that Shayna was such a rock solid presence every week on NXT as the women's champion in her uh, videos and finesse that she would do, you know, going to the PC and choking out trainees and all that kind of stuff. Seeing her as this unruly badass for uh, most of the year. And then eventually kind of becoming cowardly because Kyrie Hojo has her number. And that's something I talked about a lot with Asuka last year and why I was so into the idea of Asuka uh, being this dominant force. And then when Ember Moon had her number, Asuka resulted, result, um, resorted to cheating because she wanted to win that badly. And Shayna Baszler has a lot of that in her on top of just act, like being an actual heel in the promotion. So I've enjoyed all of her ring work. Um, I think she's really developed as far as in-ring charisma goes. She's always had the out-of-ring charisma as far as um, just the way she walks, her facial expressions, uh, how she acts in vignettes and promos, and, you know, just the character development. You know, she couldn't, she wasn't going to be a badass forever. And right now you see introducing uh, Marina and the other four horsewomen uh, into the um, NXT television that she can play a coward heel just just well, too. Yeah, and and that's definitely part of it, and, and I think you know a really good argument too. You talk about the the character side of things being a, a huge part of what makes Carrie. I mean, probably that character work also led to what could be. I mean, I haven't made any lists, but I can't think of much up right off the top of my head that beats it for feud of the year with her and um, and Dakota Kai. I mean, realistically, that feud has been like one of the best feuds in all of wrestling. And then now with the four horsewomen and the stardom gals being infused into it, now it like breathes more life into the feud there with, you know, EO and, um, and Hoja or Shirai, uh, EO Shirai and, uh, Kari Sane, um, yeah. <laughs> versus the four horsewomen. That's like really interesting moving forward from there. But yeah, I mean, and then the big part of it too, is all of her work. All, all the matches that she has had are solid. So it's like, Everything's very good, and so it's hard to um, it's hard to justify probably having her even as low as I did, and you know, with you a couple of steps up. But like, yeah, there's just not a lot there, lot not a lot of matches, but mm. um, really quality performance, and one of the few wrestlers who's fucking awesome on commentary too, while they're still an active yeah. wrestler. So that's been impressive too. There's, there's maybe like ten who are <laughs> yeah, always right? good, right? Who are like as active wrestlers and then like doing commentary, but. Something something you mentioned about um, Shayna and Dakota Kai being like one of the best views of the year. You can argue in a year full of NXT having really dumb decisions that not running Shayna versus Dakota Kai as an actual title program might be their worst decision they had. Yeah, yeah, I could. You could yeah. you, you could argue that like not running back Shayna versus Tony Storm on a bigger on a bigger platform was one of their worst decisions because Shayna was out here making stars. Shayna was out here like having people like have like career defining moments and career defining matches and then you just don't capitalize on it and i get it you're pushing Kyrie um 
Kyrie Zane and you're going forward with going forward with this feud and introducing the other four horsewomen. But Dakota Kai and Tony Storm were right there and were just as viable as options to have these matches on takeovers. Yeah. And you could have done really special things with them. And, you know, that's just a cherry that's a nitpicking there, but you know, who knows how much cooler and how much better things could have been and how high, how much higher we could have got Shayna on our list if she did get to have those takeover matches with a, a Dakota Kai or Tony. Yeah, I mean, I think she ends up in that same area like um, like Bailey was. And I think that's probably part of it, too. With the title picture the way that it was throughout the year this year in NXT, I think that if, if Shayna had those bigger kind of feud-based matches... Um, on takeovers or in bigger places, we would have ended up in that same position where, where it felt with Bailey and, and Finn, where it felt like the women's title was the main championship. Um, mm. So, and, and in a lot of ways, that bolstered that period of NXT so that more people were into it because at least they had a champion that felt really big and important. And while Shayna did, she also didn't feel like she was given the chance to be the focus the same way. Um, and then, like the thing, about, the thing about NXT is when you look at their history, that they have a very clear pattern of like cycling in and out which title is going to be the most important thing of the year. Right. So, a couple of years ago was the women's title. Um, a couple of years before that it was um, uh, the tag team titles. They sort of went back to the uh, men's title and women's title, going back and forth between which one was more important. And then this year, definitively, it was the men's title. At least everything, so, um, everything around Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa was the main focus so you know i really do think it's due that the women's title is back into the picture and like i'm hopeful we'll get a little bit more a little bit more of shana in nxt bringing in the other four horsewomen around her but you know with ronda rousey on the roster and uh people starting to turn on her who knows how much longer they're going to keep them down to nxt if ronda Ronda really needs the help yeah and that's i think when things really get interesting not just for her performances, but what happens with the fans? Because I think Shayna, if they are dumb enough to pair Shayna and Ronda on the main roster, they're going to completely shit the bed with Ronda. Like uh, Ronda's already, I mean, good, but obviously I'm hearing there's cracks in the foundation. She's not as solid as everyone's making it out to be. And I think if the it's, fans, it's not like it's, it's not issues with Ronda necessarily. Cause I, I think Ronda has been great yeah. in pretty much every match he's had. But it's Ronda, the person that people are starting to get sick of, especially when, you know, neither of us, I'm, I assume neither of us have this person on our list, but like when Becky Lynch is as hot as she is and yep. Becky Lynch is clowning on Ronda Rousey every week, it's easy to make Ronda Rousey look like a dumbass and make her look lame. Right. And right now that's sort of the problem. Yeah. And if the crowd turns Ronda heel on by their choice because they're sick of her shit, and then, be, and you know, they like Becky more or whoever it is at the time, by the time. And then, so then they go, if they do go with it and they turn Ronda heel and then put her with Shayna and then you have Shayna outshine her, then it really goes like, what's your return on investment here? She wasn't right. getting over as a baby face. The crowd picked other people before her. And then as a heel, now you also see that she gets outshined because I do see that happening. I think that Shayna will mm-hmm. outshine Ronda as a heel. I don't necessarily know. Maybe there's a chance, you know, Ronda has been surprisingly good. But Shayna is a force as a heel, and I just think that it would really be a bad sign for them and for Ronda, like, as a star, to be just overshadowed on both ends. I mean, as a babyface and as a heel. And it may even make it even less likely that we get something like that again, 
with how much Vince likes to dig his heels in on turning babyface's heel because the crowds want it, especially the people that he ordains as his top people. And if he sees that it doesn't work, then fuck it. Next time he's there's no way he'll try to turn, you know, Roman or whoever the next Roman Reigns is. You know what I mean? Like, so it'll be very bad for wrestling, I think, in general. But but Shayna is awesome. So that's more uh, mm. the point of what we're talking about here. Um, but uh, you can go. We can move on to your twenty nine. My twenty nine is a guy who I definitely would assume you do not have on your list based on how you've talked about him. And I'm, this is almost exciting to bring up, really. Pete Dunn. Nope. <laughs> no, I, not on my list. And I know that you have been very upset with Pete Dunn this year. Um, and I can see it. I can definitely get it. But it, I'm not, I guess, as annoyed by him as you have been. Plus, I think his NXT matches have still been very solid. His TV matches. I mean, his run of United Kingdom defenses that have happened in NXT TV this year have been fucking awesome. The program with uh, with Ricochet was fucking great over the, the two championships. The only thing that was kind of a bummer out of that whole situation was that he had a really good singles match with Cole. He had a really good singles match with Ricochet. And then the three way was terrible. Yeah, the, the, like the three way sucked, but everything else was like yeah. really good. Yeah, so it was a bummer because they framed it like the three way was the culmination of the whole thing, and it wasn't very good. Um, I thought that the booking of him in the um, the war games was terrible and super fucking annoying. Um, just because it just I don't know it just didn't make sense for me but he I think he executed pretty well what he was doing but it's really hard in that setting and in a match like that that I'm just not gonna like in general um, to do anything great so you know that's been a little bit of a bummer is that his booking in NXT hasn't been great but his performances have been very good um, on the indies he's been doing what he's doing but I think see there's some stuff that I think I like that you didn't so like the Mark Davis match at RPW I actually liked and I think you didn't like that one at all um, and we talked about it a bit, but it just, to me, I think it kind of worked. Um, and the match with Matt Riddle at uh, Fight Club Pro, I called it out when I reviewed it on This Week in Wrestling that they shouldn't have tried to do a brawl on the same card that you have a Walter Star match that's kind of the same style. But it was still very good. It was just, it got overshadowed on that card. My point was never that I thought that match was bad, but just that I didn't like that 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 was not the place for it unfortunately because of what else was on the card um the satamora match from uh from fight club pro i thought was fantastic also um so yeah to me he had good performances and matches that i really enjoyed while being kind of i can understand why people would think he's annoying on the indies or you know now but then in in um Super Strong Style 16, I thought that the Doug Williams match was very good. I thought that the Zach Gibson match was really good, even if the booking was annoying. Um, up until that point, it was good with the DQ. So, yeah, I'm just like, his performances repeatedly are fantastic. He does these really good layered kind of stories. He does great handwork. Um, you know, we've talked about kind of him being, turning into an amalgamation of like a Scroll and Junior in a lot of ways, Zack Sabre Jr. to just like get pops from the crowds, but... He does some other interesting stuff throughout that I really enjoy. Um, I just think still a guy who the crowd gets into huge. He's developing into a big time star. He feels super important on the NXT shows. You know, just talking about it. So, you know, and then coming in for the feud with the the Schadenfreude stuff in Fight Club Pro, 
I I get it. It's overbearing. It's bad. It kind of in some ways it feels like you know British Strong Style is like almost in the same level of bad corny as the kind of revival DX thing. But that's kind of the point. And as much as stupid as this is, like it works. Crowds, those stupid crowds that I don't agree with and think that like if I was there I wouldn't be into it. Um, they like it. So you can't get too mad at him in wrestling for trying to please crowds. He's giving them what they want. Um, the Dragon Off match at at Hello Wembley was disappointing, but I think we talked about it, and I think you mentioned it. Like the, uh, the biggest issue there is the alignment. I don't think that you have the same match with Dragonoff as a babyface, Pete Dunne as a heel, and I think that we that could be on the list of matches of the year, honestly. Um, just because if those guys were in the correct babyface heel role, I think they could have a blowaway match. So I just think, unfortunately, PW, or Progress has been proven time and time again that their booking is fucking terrible. So, like, I think the biggest hindrance to Pete Dunne is the booking more than anything. And I just feel like that's not fair to him to give him shit because he has to deal with so much bad booking or, you know, is kind of caught in the middle of a lot of political bullshit to where he doesn't want to take falls and he's protecting himself because he's like the face of this, you know, world domination from the WWE. And I understand when that turns you off and puts such a bad taste in your mouth because of what WWE is doing that having him be kind of the figurehead of that is really fucking bad. But I think he's still a phenomenal performer. The thing about Pete Dunne for me is that even with how much I've made it clear that I've really had issues with him this year, I still really liked him versus Zach Gibson from uh, the UK tournament special. I still really liked him versus Jack Gallagher. I still really liked him versus Chris Brooks from early on, from early in the year. Um, I liked him versus Adam Mora. There's matches of his that I really... I thought he was actually um, having a really good year to the point where uh, his match with uh, James Conner or... Uh, I think it's, that, that's a, that is his name, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck, I feel like it might not be Con- uh, James. What the fuck? I can't think of his name. Anyways, yeah, it's James Conner. That's right. Yeah, um... But, um... Connor from a Joseph Connor, like, you know, Joseph, Joseph Connor, Joseph Connor. I'm thinking of the fucking Pittsburgh Steelers running back. Okay, yeah, Joseph um, Connor, who's terrible, by the way, but, just so everyone knows. But we don't have to worry. Joseph he, Connor. The good thing about it is you can talk as much shit as you want about Joseph Connor, and he won't hear you. The thing about, the thing about it is, I even thought like he was he was having like a, a really good match with Joseph Connors early on in the year. I was actually really into most of what Pete Dunne was doing, but what happened was he had these matches against. LP and Martin Davis on these small RPW shows. And it really showed to me sort of Pete Dunne's Loki-ish side where he was just sort of dominating people, not giving them like any room to breathe and uh, just sort of like kicking their shit in. And at no point did they ever feel like viable threats. And you know just as well as I do. That's not what Pete Dunne is. Pete Dunne came in, you know, he could take he would take his shortcuts. He would control a match, but he would make it clear that he's only slightly better than someone, or that that person is the better wrestler. But he's taking the shortcuts to get there. To me, what came with Pete Dunne in the newfound popularity is that he just became the ass kicker, and I think that led to him undermining people in their ma- in matches. And granted, look, like you said, he's the face of the UK brand. He's the face of this global expansion and uh, monopolization that WWE has going on right now. And good for Pete if that's his role in the process and he's going to be the big face of all of that. But as a consumer and as someone that's watched Pete for years, 
I can't help but be disappointed in that. And that was my problem earlier on in the year. Then we get to bigger matches and Pete just keeps disappointing me. And I'm and I'm I've never been someone that's um shadow on the whole idea of British strong style being goofy and their sort of relief from doing um serious wrestling. Because those guys did serious wrestling for years and now they're in a position where they don't have to and they can just please the crowd and do whatever. I'm not I've never been upset with that. I'll never be the guy that shifts on that. But I do have an issue when that what that whenever Pete Dunn shows up, that all he does is kick someone's ass undermine them make them look weak and leave he did that countless times he shows he shows up in attack um teams with chris brooks and they just beat the shit out of drew parker and elijah and why are you doing that nothing to prove is supposedly you're like your new big bad stable of a uh, um of heels so why are we just beating the shit out of nothing to prove and that's the kind of stuff that frustrates me because wwe isn't involved at that point now, I get it. Like, your decision to, you know, you're going to go out there and just be Pete Dunn because Pete Dunn's the bruiserweight and Pete Dunn hits hard. And that's what people want to see. They want to see you do Ishii spots and um, bite fingers and snap and snap fingers and all that stuff. I get it. But I don't like it when it starts to undermine people that you wouldn't have under wouldn't have been undermining like this last year. To me, that was very clearly your ego getting in the way of that and doing that to people like Elijah and Drew Parker that you've known for years doesn't sit right with me. Um, sitting here and like completely controlling a Mark Davis who's like several inches taller than you and weighs a fuck ton more than you and just beating him down like that doesn't sit right with me because I know you wouldn't have done that last year. And that's the kind of stuff that really messes with, messes with me when judging Pete Dunn's year. Um, Delia Dragunov match. As I've said, and you touched on, the issue there more comes with alignment. Pete Dunn should have been the heel. Ilya Dragon should have been the face. That's just who these guys naturally are. And I'm not going to blame him for progress making the wrong decision there on alignment and forcing them into a um, face done and heel Ilya matchup. But I can say that Pete Dunn really didn't deliver in that match either. And I've seen face Pete Dunn have good matches. That that's another issue here. As I've seen face Pete Dunn against Zach Gibson in that UK tournament final, and he did a really good job as a babyface in that match. I really enjoyed him. I didn't think he was that good there. And a lot of it, frankly, does come down to getting fed up a little bit with that style, or at least the way Pete does that style. You know, I, you know, we mentioned um, him sort of being an, an amalgamation of Zack Sabre Jr. and Marty Skrull, and really, that's sort of what Pete always was offensively and that's not a bad thing necessarily but he always had like little character quirks about him that made him stand out and i'm going to ask you an honest question right now what makes current pete dunn any different than zach saber jr um i guess probably uh let's say stiffer strikes but not necessarily. Um, you see what I mean? Like he, like he has like what a slightly more focused idea that he's this lethal striker, but that's about it. Yeah, and not even that. More that it's like brawling style strikes. Mm-hmm. Zach has more and, finesse, and it fits more with his overall. I would say that Pete, I would honestly say that Pete is just a little bit rougher overall, and I think mm-hmm. that as as much as that doesn't necessarily make a huge difference. 
necessarily in the quality of the work. I think that to you know to me and you per se, I think that it does for and I you know I have to say it the group of people who happen to be kind of behind the scenes who are tweeting out stuff about or you know mentioning or being reported as saying that Zack Saber Jr. comes across like a twink or you know what I mean. So unfortunately, you got guys like Regal and Fit Finley there who think of Zack Saber Jr. as wrestling gay and then you've got pete dunn who does something similar but is a lot rougher and more in the vein of what they like and so that's like the difference you know so i get where you're coming from but i think there is something to that so that's like the biggest difference between him and zach saber jr so and, and again this is all to say that pete dunn has had good matches this year but i feel like in general just sort of getting fed up with his uh i feel like he just he's just not that, that like that great of a quote-unquote like cat wrestler on the mat to do the kind of stuff that he aims to do it just doesn't work for him yeah and that's i think probably the bigger thing too is if he if he actually cut a lot of that out and focused more on just a few holds and a few moves he would probably be better off but i think he has tried to add a little bit too much that and, and that's what i'm saying when it comes to the zach stuff is that that wasn't pete dunn now all of a sudden he's arm bars and triangle chokes and again, like, what the fuck? That wasn't you. That wasn't even you last year. So what happened? And for me, looking at that and just sort of seeing like what he's become, and he's just sort of looked at what's working for other English guys in the wrestling world, started plucking from that. Um, I feel like the ba- a baby face role just isn't meant for him. Right. Um, say like the like the Jordan Devlin match from uh, NXT from NXT UK TV. Fundamentally, not a bad match. You know, on fun, like on the fundamental level, is good selling. Devlin is menacing and always um working towards taking Pete out of his element. Pete has to toughen up, and he's facing one of his um toughest challenges to date. Fundamentally, not a bad match, not a bad idea. As we've seen this, as we've seen this year, as we talked about with the Elliot match, Jordan Devlin has been like the babyface of the year in wrestling. Ott Ace, like the Walter feud is incredible. Jordan Devlin should be a babyface, hypothetically here, if that's what he's been doing all year, and that's what's got him the most critical acclaim. Pete Dunne, career bad guy, probably should be the heel here, and that's super frustrating. And again, like I get it, I can't put all of that on Pete, but when I have to sit there and watch everything, and like you know, on some level, it is me being hypocritical because I'm always the guy that defends your guys, like uh, Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose and all that, where you can't blame creative for what these guys are, are are being presented as. But I can blame it when Pete Dunne does have the, still has more freedom than most guys on the roster when it comes to his independent work, and he's still doing the exact same thing. So there's only, there's only so much I can take the blame off of Pete, and that's why I've been so hard on him this year. Yeah, and, I, and again, I can see it. I can see where you're coming from, you know. Um, I guess I guess the question is for you is that, do you see Pete Dunne staying on your list for like the for the foreseeable years? Like, cause we we look at it and see what like what's, what look what's happened. Um, twenty sixteen, he's ranked fourth for you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on your list. Twenty seventeen, I'm pretty sure he's still in your top fifteen. Correct? Yes. Uh, twenty seventeen. Let me double check. I can give you the exact actually pretty quick. Uh, actually, fuck. Sorry. 
it's, it's all right, but I can keep talking. Um, uh, ten. In he's number ten in seventeen. Right. Yes. So, so, so four, ten, and right now he's twenty nine. Right. Downward trend and a big downward trend compared from last year to this year. Do you see Pete Dunne staying in your top fifty at this rate? The thing yeah. about it is that I mean, I just we were kind of talking about it. Is that I don't know because the the toughest part with someone who's in Pete Dunne's position right now is that in a moment's notice he goes to the main roster of wwe and then and then no he's not on my list because i just don't see his matches you know what i mean because i just Mm. don't really watch main roster wwe i don't have the investment in that at all um and even if his career stays if his match amounts stay this limited as they have been um then probably not he probably falls off by next year you know because Mm. he's just not having Especially now, there's rumblings of more of more kind of strict bookings. If he's having even less matches outside of the kind of the WWE umbrella, um, then probably not. No, and that was just something I'm wondering because at this rate, I'm not sure when Pete Dunne will ever make my top fifty again. And that is something that's really sad to say because of how highly we did talk about Pete Dunne last year and in 2016. Right, and that's and that's more what it comes from. It's like just kind of disappointment and frustration because we've talked so highly about this guy for a couple of years now and to be at a point where you're like man what the fuck are you doing like you don't you like you don't know what to do with that yeah it's i mean especially because it seemed like i said i mean we both you see the quality there i do obviously um so it's still there so it's not like he's just broken down it's just Hmm. and like that you can almost defend more um it's just like a mixture of a lot of terrible things that are honestly probably part of the same bad signs for the future of wrestling in general right now, just with what's going on politically. All right. Well, to move on from that, I have at 28, Absolute Andy. Not on my list. Um, and if I'm totally honest, not someone I anticipated making my list either, to be quite frank with you. Um, I don't love Absolute Andy. I don't particularly like what he uh what he's been doing in WXW, or at least I thought so. And then I go back and look at a lot of the matches, and you know, other than um maybe like the first or third Marius El Ani match that he had in a year, I really like most of what he's done. I really like the Bobby Gunn stuff in early early on in 2018. I really liked um most of the sixteen carat matches. Uh, Mario Salani, Matt Riddle, Timothy Thatcher, Davis Starr in the final. Thought he had a fantastic showing in that tournament. And then we get to the Ilya Dragunov stuff. And again, they're not great matches, but they're definitely effective, I would say. Effective and definitely getting over what Andy is. And that, you know, these top baby faces like Davis Starr, Ilya Dragunov are not immune to the bullshit that Andy's going to bring to the table. And really what gets him on the match, uh, only on the list rather, is his match with Zack Sabre Jr. And this is a match that going into it, people were like, okay, how the fuck is this going to work? There's two heels, drastically different kinds of wrestlers. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't even be giving Andy that much credit for this because people have been saying the same thing about Zack forever. And he went out there and made stuff like matches with uh, Pentagon Jr. and Ethan Page work. So I'm not going to give Andy a world of credit here, but having such a uniquely structured match idea with Zack Sabre Jr. in a heel versus heel matchup, 
I think definitely points to how good Andy is. Because I do think Andy is a great wrestler. I think he's been a great wrestler for a long time. I'm not the biggest fan of this iteration of character that he's playing, but I can't deny that I thought Andy's been one of the most unheralded wrestlers of the last 10 years. And I'm glad that he's in a position where um, people are liking him liking him, and enjoying his work and enjoying his promos and his character. And even if it's not my cup of tea, I can't deny that he executes it really well when it comes to the in-ring aspect of it. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think that like, so I loved the 16 karat stuff except for the final. Um, and that really kind of was a downer for me, just the way the whole thing went um, for the overall experience of the Andy move forward and then the character work is there but the matches to me aren't there and then that's kind of why it's funny because they actually line up and it almost in a weird way it is like matching um it's like it's almost like we picked the same guy but we just we just happened to not pick the same guy but i think we probably picked him for similar reasons and from similar places which is that my 28 is bobby guns Mm, yeah, and, Bobby. Bobby didn't make my list. And so you see, so it's like it's a it's kind of a weird dichotomy where I think it, what it comes down to is what we appreciated, and I think because both guys were really in a lot of ways were mirroring each other this year um, in WXW, kind of what the roles that they were playing um, with Andy going heel for the first time in a while and playing a really interesting heel character that did work really well for him, and then I thought Bobby Guns with kind of turning into the sleazy babyface hero that the crowd loved um really worked coming out of such a great heel run so the guys were kind of like switching at the same time and being positioned moving up the card really or being focused more at the same time um in a way that like that's why i think that they make sense matched up between the both of us but for me bobby guns what it comes down to is i like his work more so that's why i was more into him this year so like i even liked stuff like matches with like Dirty Dragon, you know, defending the shotgun TV title. I thought throughout the year, most of his matches were good, even against guys that I was like, not, I'm not super into Toby Blunt match. I thought was really good. Obviously the stuff ambition or 16 karat weekend. <laughs> Fuck. I am such a ridiculous Mark. I like refer Amb- to it as ambition, ambition weekend, ambition like, weekend. <laughs> yeah. I'm the fucking worst 16 karat weekend. Um, I thought that he had like matches that really stood out. Obviously uh, the Mike Bailey match being one that I think that, I think most people, if they saw it, it makes their list of matches of the year. It's probably going to end up on mine. Um, just really fucking great what was going on there. Um, I thought that he was amazing in Ambition as well, uh, the role that he played there. Obviously, that tag match on the on the first night um, was phenomenal. So it did feel like that was the thing for me. He really felt like the workhorse um, with the, the TV title kind of early mm-hmm. throughout the year. Um, didn't like the loss... Um, not just the match itself, but also I didn't think it was the right move with him losing the title to Al-Ani. Um, so yeah, and then kind of really defocusing and disappearing after that point. Not really a lot of matches um, after that. Obviously hurts his case in a lot of ways. But to me, he was a guy that was in my kind of conversation um, for the first half of the year for being ending up really top of the list. Just the way that he kind of was developing as a character, as a promo, as a worker, um, really having this super cool connection with the crowd that was getting over super amazingly. So yeah, I just, I think that what happened, what sucks is that his output and everything just kind of disappeared halfway through, or like, you know, a little bit further than halfway through the year. And that hurt um, his, his case for me. And I still had him kind of high, I guess. I get the inclusion of Bobby. 
I told I really do. Uh, you know, just a thing where I don't think Bobby resonated enough with enough enough with me this year. Um, I think it's a real testament, honestly. It's something that really uh shines a light that something that got so much buzz out of uh Rose Hadley weekend, like Bobby versus Ilya. Like neither of us really talked about uh, talked about that match, whether it was um with the Ilya Dragunov section or the Bobby Gunn section. You know, I think that's interesting considering like the buzz that came out of it. And I do like that match, but maybe it was um a, l- a little bit more forgettable than uh I thought at the time, and I'm just not realizing that. But I really did like a lot of what Bobby was offering this year. I think the thing that keeps him off is that. Again, like a little unfair because I can't, like I like like a guy like Absolute Andy didn't do this didn't do this this year either, and um, Ilya didn't really do it this year either. And when he did venture out, I didn't love what he did. Although I did like that uh David Star match from Chapter eighty eighty seventy nine, I believe. But Bobby, I was thinking, you know, young guy on the verge of really having a major breakout, and Bobby just sort of stays in WXW. And I was really hoping that Bobby would start to branch out this year in other European promotions. And, you know, seeing how the rest of the year actually played out as far as alignments and promotions being aligned with WWE and New Japan and all that stuff. I can see why Bobby didn't start breaking out and wrestling a whole bunch of other places. But it was a little disappointing seeing how hot Bobby was coming out of 16 Karat Weekend, how hot he was coming out of Shortcut to the to- a Shortcut to the Top, that... Bobby just sort of stayed in WXW and only really got anything when WXW decided, like, oh yeah, Bobby Gunn is still one of our guys, and we're gonna we're gonna throw him a bone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see that, but like I said, you know, from the beginning, my um, my feeling a lot more this year was people that were like performers all around and bobby i think is mm. one of the best performers all around even with not understanding german his like his swagger and his character just leaps off the page even in his actual as he's working not just in his character spots but in the matches too so that's been a big one and then you talked about it but i mean yeah the, the Ilya match to me i don't know that i was even that high on it at the time but part of it probably was the same thing like you're saying is that i didn't it felt I hate to say it, but good, but slightly bland, which has been like a lot of this year for me. But then, like, uh, yeah, like the Mike Bailey match, that's something that still sticks out to me all year as being yeah. like a big time thing. So um, that's part of it, too, is just the leap off the page moments for sure. You know, and you say like how like you don't speak German, but you like feel Bobby's charisma shining through, you know, like Bobby might have sort of like a little like a little bit of a Roosh thing going on where Roosh's intensity and charisma and passion like bleed through so much that he is like such a sought after commodity and I think that was a lot of the appeal in Bobby and a lot of the appeal in Ilya too. Right. And I think I think looking at it that way I totally get why you have a uh, Bobby on your list. And like that's, I could honestly see him higher if that was um more of something that like hit you on an emotional level. But uh to move on someone that you had earlier on your list, at twenty seven I have Mark Davis. Okay. And uh, where'd you have him? I had him at, where is this guy? 35. Okay. Um, so this is, a, this is a, maybe a couple spots higher than I had Mark Davis last year. Um, 
And for me, I still think Aussie Open was at worst, like the second or third best tag team in the world this year, as far as like talking consistency. They didn't have the same highs that um you know, um, ring comp for the Young Bucks did. But I thought consistency wise, they were just as good as a tag team that you were gonna find anywhere. Um, even though they were albeit a little a little bit formulaic. But yeah, I mean consistency that is one hundred percent true. I mean they mm. have nothing but great matches that are again formulaic, yes, but every time their matches are great. Mm. So yeah, I mean the most consistent tag team easily. And that does get them points, but the reason why Mark Davis doesn't see a significant improvement on my list this year as um Kyle Fletcher, who I know we're gonna talk about later, is I feel like Mark Davis really let me down as singles opportunities this year. Um now the now the big one that I know I know I'm in the minority on and that most people love is the Walter match uh um uh, for progress. And I get it. I'm definitely, definitely, definitely in the minority on that one, but you know, coming off of um Walter versus Thatcher in January and, you know, Thatcher's chest being ripped open and all that stuff and Walter going and ripping Mark Davis's chest open and being a shit. Like, it just felt derivative to me. You know, it wasn't like Mark Davis went and, like, did the exact same match. He wasn't doing handwork and all that. It felt derivative. It felt like Mark Davis, who's all, who's also viewed as, like, this big-ass, strong, like, strong, hard-hitting hoss in the English uh, wrestling scene, Getting mauled like that just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like he should have be he should be given as much as he should have been because Mark Davis is such a big star. But you know, like that. But I get it, and I know that's something that's bo- that bothered me that wasn't going to bother a lot of people. Um, but even beyond that, I thought Mark Davis versus Pete Dunne wasn't that great. I thought Mark Davis's run during the uh, Natural Progression series, and he's going up against guys like. Dan Duggan and Maverick Mayhew and Chris Ridgway and um, the qualifying match against Kyle Fletcher. I really like the match against Kyle Fletcher and uh, Maverick Mayhew, but again, largely in singles in singles competition, Mark Davis just wasn't doing it for me, and I think that was the problem here. Um, Fight Club Pro, whenever he got um, some opportunities to do single stuff, didn't really do it for me. Uh, defiant. If he got single, if he got singles opportunities, they really hit it out the heart for me, and that's what the stuff he was missing this year that set Kyle apart. And I do think he still has it in him. I think the Schadenfreude stuff has shown the potential. I didn't love the match, but say something like um, Mark Davis versus um, M.K. McKinnon showed that there's potential in Mark Davis as a big menacing heel, but I just don't think it's been fully realized yet. Or even like halfway realized. I think it's still something that Mark Davis has to work on. And you know, I get it. He's one of the most likable guys or easy to understand guys currently in this wrestling scene. I know a lot of people, he's like the big eye catcher or was the big eye catcher last year with Aussie Open. And, you know, the Walter match was something that captured people's imaginations and everything. But to me, I just felt like I didn't see a lot of improvement from Mark Davis this year. And I felt like. That's why you see Mark Davis relatively in the same spot he was in last year compared to Kyle, who saw a significant leap on my list. Yeah, very similar. And honestly, the Walter match, while I think I was not in the camp of being like super high on it, also I think me and you are pretty 
similar on that. I think I actually like it slightly, I liked it slightly more than you, but still, I think that that was the start as you talk about that, the devaluing of Mark Davis, the demystification of Mark Davis kind of started there. And then throughout the year with that, and then balancing Kyle bulking up quite a bit, it started to halfway through the year, not feel like it was Mark Davis is the big badass and Kyle is the flippity do get up beat up guy it started to feel more and more like they were equals and then as things developed even more fletcher started to feel like he was the bigger deal um and almost like he didn't need he doesn't need mark and like i think that that was really shown in the uh the schadenfreude kind of the split and then mark davis comes tagging along after fletcher turns on him basically and turns heel and Mm. it really feels like he's just tagging along early on to me he doesn't feel like it makes sense. That's why I, my whole thing was like I was really praying for a secret, you know, like a secret heel or babyface turn back from Davis that it was like all a, a, a gimmick and he wasn't really turning heel because it just didn't make sense. His heart wasn't in he, it. He, 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 he just looks lame doing it. Like Yeah. So it was just kind of like, ugh. But he's developed a little bit more. Like you said, the MK McKinnon match was, was feeling better um, and he might get there. Um I really liked uh, – I actually really liked the Jonah Rock match from earlier in the year in Fight Club Pro between them two. Yeah. And that was when Mark hadn't really lost that aura and it really still felt like a big-time badass fight. And if he had stuck with that throughout the year, I think he could have – he would have. I mean, I had him, I think, 35 last year. This year, or no, Last year I had him 31. This year I have him 35. So he dropped a little bit for me, but – I mean, comparatively, yes, like Fletcher rockets, skyrockets this year comparatively um, for me. And uh, and it's like on the backbone of the same tag work. I mean, they're primarily in the same tag matches, but it's that different. I think Kyle Fletcher, Kyle Fletcher is better in the mat, in the tag matches, too. And that's the thing, you know, yeah, we go and watch we go and watch um like the um, Calamari Thatch King, Thatch King's matches that they have. We go and watch the uh, match against Brooks and Gresham from Summer Sizzler. Uh, even like some of the stuff from uh, WXW Tag League or the matching against Juice and Tanahashi from WrestleMania weekend. It's like, or um, say uh, Mustache Mountain versus Aussie Open from the DTTI finals. It's like Fletcher consistently is the better guy in the tag matches too, and that's the thing. And I again, I'm we talked about it. we are talking about like Aussie Open very clearly has their formula, and that's. Fine. I'm, we're never going to be the guys that knock formula, but even even in the formula, we see Kyle Fletcher throwing in new wrinkles. And Mark Davis is still just being big, brooding, come in and uh, do the hot tag, big brother Mark Davis. Right. And he hasn't really, you know, added another dimension to him. And maybe like when we get like the heel Aussie Open tag matches and we get to see their control segments, maybe it'll be a little bit different. But Kyle Fletcher at least gave you something different when they were still running as faces. Mark Davis didn't. Yeah, and you know what? You mentioning that, you know what still gets me is it's the development, like the positive development. Kyle is getting better. Kyle's stuff is standing out. And Davis is still, and this is a stupid personal pet peeve, but he's still doing the one-arm powerbomb that every time the setup is so contrived. And it's just like, it doesn't show good instinct that he hasn't realized that and just drops it. You know what I mean? And like, he needs to just stop doing that spot because it never looks good. And it's like, that's a stupid little thing, but it's like those kind of decision making, that kind of decision making is what is the issue with him for me as a wrestler. You know, 
something like a uh, a guy that uh, is gonna uh, that, that's gonna be on your list and was definitely on, was on my list earlier is that Jeff Cobb. You know, quietly Jeff Cobb sort of just stopped doing the shooting star press and he sort of he just sort of stuck to the moonsault. And that shows instincts that, you know, the shooting star press wasn't looking great. And if I'm going to improve as a wrestler, it's okay to cut things out of your moveset. And again, like Mark Davis has only had like a little bit of time in this prominence. But, you know, you would you'd be encouraged if he just sort of stopped doing things that weren't always the best looking or exactly helping what, what he's going for as a wrestler right now. Because exactly. he's going for sort of cause he's going for sort of like this big Walter Light, if you will. Yeah. You know, other than Walter, like that's like that's what he is. He's he chops, he hits hard, he he scowls, he's mean. Like that's what he is. And doing the big one arm power bomb isn't exactly fitting what you're trying to capture right now. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so my twenty seven I don't think you're gonna have um is Bianca Belair. Wow. <laughs> I do not have Bianca Belair. Okay. But holy shit. Dude, she is fucking amazing. Like No 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 I'm on the bandwagon okay. completely. Like you don't have to convince me, but I am astounded because she hasn't even had like a, a takeover match yet. Nope. So I did not expect this. She doesn't need it, man. It's the it's honestly right. a lot of it is the character work, but the other side of it too is that she's probably the most naturally gifted, just intuitively got it wrestlers that I've seen probably WWE has had since like maybe Kurt Angle or something like her natural athleticism and then her ability to translate that into actual pro wrestling has been astonishing. She's so new and so good the way that she like she adapted. I talked about it when reviewing her matches before, but adapted stuff like kind of like the, the clean and jerk motion from doing fucking like competitive CrossFit into like doing that with a wrestler into a gorilla press slam to where it looks natural. It's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen because so many of these girls that they would get in the NXT performance center, they would try to take something from their background and adapt it into wrestling. And it never fucking worked. Like Alexa bliss was one of the worst Alexa bliss trying to do gymnastics. Dana Brooke. Yeah, like Dana Brooke, like didn't yeah, really work for her. It did not work for her, but Bianca has made that shit work because she's just so, like I said, physically gifted. She gets it. She gets everything. Like, I don't think she's had a bad match that I've seen on television. Every one of her matches is always fantastic. And then the start of this feud with Nikki Cross has brought even more out of her, where the aggression, the just the violence back and forth, like. This is, I mean, this girl could be something for them. If she stays in it and is into wrestling, like, on top of that, the character work, like I talked about. I mean, her her promos are amazing. She get her character. She's, like, little stupid details. She makes everything work. Like, I don't know, man. She's a, a phenom already to me. Like, it's going to be so cool if she continues. And with the way that she's poised with, obviously, women's wrestling is kind of the wave of the future for WWE. Um, Like, the sky's the limit for her, I think. If they really continue to take women's wrestling seriously, she's got everything you could want um, for them for the future of a big-time star. And she's still so young, still so new. Um, Just, yeah, if they... Again, I think part of it is just, like, if she stays focused and who how passionate she is about wrestling, that's kind of the big question. You know, listen, I agree. You know, the first time everyone laid eyes on um, um, Bianca Belair last year in the Mae Young Classic, people were 
head over heels for her. And I was one of those people too. And again, I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of NXT this year. I've seen little scattered bits. Um, mostly like when it came to like the new women, I've seen more groaning over how bad Lacey Evans is than, um, talking about Bianca Belair. But again, like you're right. She's like a fucking prodigy. She is a genuine freak of nature. And like she's actually blended her athletic background into her wrestling better than most people ever have. And I believe she won some kind of number one contendership and she's going to be facing Shayna Baszler at TakeOver in January. And I'm really and I'm really interested to see how that one goes out. Obviously, with Bianca being a heel and Shayna Baszler being a heel, what do they do here? Are they going to go ahead and turn Bianca face? Are they going to go ahead and just try to make this heel versus heel thing work? Who knows? But, you know, Bianca feels like a star. And as opposed to someone like Velveteen Dream, it feels like they've sort of taken their time with Bianca instead of forcing her into the limelight, where even though they're over, they're not necessarily ready for that kind of spot. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because she almost feels in some ways like she is more ready than dream was when he started getting forced into the spotlight or she was faster but also part of that is because she was protected longer so it's just it's Mm. true like it it actually the way that they built her up made worked better and i think i would have probably said just a few months ago that a face turn for her would be a very stupid idea because she's so naturally gifted right now as a heel but like i said the nikki cross stuff like nikki i mean nikki cross was high on my list last year didn't really make my list this year unfortunately um but like she really helped prepare her or kind of catapult her into a place where the crowd is into her now. And I think that a Bianca Belair babyface turn right now could actually work, especially against Shayna with Shayna having the girls behind her. It just plays more into Shayna needing all the bells and whistles to be able to hold back Bianca because she's just like, you know, again, so naturally gifted. My number 26, someone that you probably have higher than me since you haven't said them yet is uh, Jonah Rock. Uh, no, I do not have Jonah Rock. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> I know, I know, because I have been high on him this year, but he was 68 for me. Um, he fell off the map. I mean, he really did. And this is going to be stupid, kind of, or a little bit nitpicky. But one of the one of the things that really fucked him up this year for me was he had a terrible match with Hideki Suzuki. And that's like really hard for me. Um, for, for, I mean, like. That's hard for you to do for me because I'm one of the people who fucking loves Hideki Suzuki, but that match I thought was really garbage. Um, so that did not help his case at all. On top of the fact that like he had some good stuff in PWG for sure, but um, some of the stuff with the Roman stuff was a little too sticky, even if it was working to the point of being kind of stupid. Um, and then like he was on a really good tear in the UK early in the year, but then that just kind of dried up and you stopped seeing him in England and the UK. And that kind of was a bummer because I think if he had kept on that pace for me, he probably would have ended up higher. But he just didn't really have the matches after like probably a f- like halfway through the year, maybe even a little bit sooner than that. Uh, you know, I get it. And I can even see a case that I maybe um, have done it too high. But, you know, there's not that many wrestlers that left as big uh, as an impression on me this year as Jonah Rock did. Whether it was how brutal he was in a different way than other big men wrestlers. It's not chops. It's not anything like that. He throws kicks, which is definitely like something small, but makes a world of difference when you're in a uh, indie wrestling landscape that has a whole bunch of quote unquote giants and monsters running around that he has a different way of striking. 
he's one of the he's one of the only guys that with his size sort of like works cowardly. He has no problem dominating a match. He can dominate with his size and all that stuff, but he has no problem raking eyes, taking a shortcut, biting, all that stuff. And really, you know, reference back to Pete Dunne, like that's sort of like what made Pete Dunne so good back in 2016 is that he can keep up in the ring, but what made him so compelling as a character is that he's such a fucking shithead that you he's gonna cheat he's gonna cheat anyway because he feels like it and that's what jonah rock was bringing for me and i loved um his performances against uh joey janela and timothy thatcher and jeff cobb and pwg and really if we had just got a little bit more of that stuff in pwg who knows? If, if we would have got General Rock as PWG champion, who knows? Maybe he could have wound up higher. Maybe he could have made your list. But, you know, eventually it just felt like jo- jo- Jonah was getting uh, de-emphasized. Um, then the news comes out about him uh, being on his way to WWE. And then, like, that kind of stuff makes sense as to why they never went all in on Jonah. But you still get stuff like Jonah versus Robbie Eagles and PWA. Uh, Jonah versus Caveman Ugg. And... There isn't a lot, like you said. Like there's, like we have like a few, a couple of Jack Saber Junior matches to watch, but there isn't a lot. But no one, well, there aren't many people that left as big as an impact on me as Jonah Rock did, with the, with his character work, using his size. I think he used his size uh better than anyone in indie wrestling did this year, and I think his uh, you know, his commitment to being a heel as to where he wasn't gonna be the big cool, big cool guy, um, doing um doing um flips and lucha spots and all that he was a true committed big man and i think i really appreciated that this year after a run of getting Jack and keith lee and brody king being all over the place um you know even throw mark davis in there being all over the place and their whole thing is a, a thing a thing being that they're these athletic big guys doing cool lucha spots and general rock's like no i'm big i'm gonna kick you i'm gonna squash you and the only high spot he does is that he has a really awesome looking frog splash. But that like that's it. He doesn't go above and beyond for that. Yeah, and I mean, you're right on all of that and I was very I was super high on him early in the year with you. Uh and I still really thought that Jonah was great this year. Um I forgot about that Robbie Eagles match and the Saber matches that were really good. Um But yeah, like it just I think more in the in the UK just yeah, just a little bit more in general would have done it for me. And one of the things that we already talked about it on another podcast, but he was amazing using his size and ambition. Uh, you don't see a lot of guys do it that as oh, that yeah, him, well. Oh yeah, him him versus Mike Bailey from Ambition, like one of the most like unsung matches of the year. <laughs> like, yeah, really good stuff. Even him in um his WWE run in general. I didn't love his um in the circle match against Walter, but I really liked um, the stuff that we got from him in sixteen carat. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right. So my, what is it for me? Twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna have him. Probably not. Is Ray Phoenix? No, no Ray Phoenix. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Uh, early in the year, I saw him. I think against Sammy Gravara in PWG, and then against ACH in PCW Live. Um, phenomenal baby face. I mean, obviously, something about him really gets you engaged, and that was kind of it all year for him. Um, 
repeats matches with ACH um, in AAW pretty quickly after that. That was, I thought was fucking fantastic. You get the tag stuff with his brother, um, you know, throughout different places. Um, that's always really good. But for me, like, yeah, his single stuff, his selling, um, the way he fights from underneath, his high spots are always looking flawless. I mean, just the ultimate baby face in a lot of ways to me. Um, really great star power. Um, oh, actually, I'm looking at my list and I've got a pretty big time baby face murderers row coming up with him being kind of the start of it. Um, that's probably why he ends up in this place for me because I big time really good underdog baby faces were kind of a a big deal this year in general i think and i think we're getting overlooked um because people were more excited with the flashy big guys that were the ones who were beating up these underdog baby faces um but i think that you need the really good baby face to get those guys over um and make that stuff work so um the match with trevor lee at pwg three menace i loved that match um yeah, I just, you know, the work in MLW, the tag team with the Lucha Brothers, they felt like the biggest stars in the company for a lot of times until kind of Tom Lawler started to come into his own. Um, just, yeah, I mean, just probably the one of the best sellers, super smooth, super crisp, just a really great mix for exactly what he needs to do. He's perfect at it. Um, like I said, being able to get the crowd into everything that's going on um, and then also once they're kind of bought into him as a baby face that they care about, then when he starts hitting his high spots and everything gets rolling, um, just crowds go fucking nuts for him. So yeah, that's kind of a, that was my thing on Ray Phoenix this year. You know, I just don't have a lot. I just don't have a strong opinion on Phoenix. Like you mentioned that he is like almost sort of like one of the ultimate baby faces. And I think he can be, I just, I don't think he is though. I think, he has a capability of doing it when he feels like being that guy. Like something like the low-key match from MLW shows that he totally still has that quality in him. Um, the triple threat grave consequences match uh, with him and uh, Sammy Callahan and Mel Martins from Lucha Underground, I think proved that, proves that. But I just don't think he's uh, been that this year on a consistent level. Um, especially after losing the title in AEW and just sort of floating around doing whatever. And maybe if I was watching more MLW, then I would see what you're saying, more, more impact. But, you know, it just doesn't feel like that. And something I've noticed, and again, I don't think you're watching Lucha Underground, but it seemed like they turned Phoenix heel in Lucha Underground following uh, his return from uh, Grave Consequences. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure if you've seen any of that work, but is that something that you feel like Phoenix will be able to pull off? No. I, has the capability to pull off? No, I don't think so. I don't think he'd be a very good heel. I haven't watched any Lucha Underground in... A very long time i think i stopped in the middle of season three or something mm. so yeah yeah it was, just, it was just something it was just something i noticed like uh reading bits and pieces about what was going on there and you know maybe if i saw a heel phoenix i'm not sure it'd be great but it's like you know just something to switch it up over the last three or so years of what we got from him but you know just no strong thoughts on phoenix it's a lot of what he does is just a style that I've kind of like largely gotten over for the most part. And I totally get people being into him. I don't understand people being like Phoenix is like one of like the top five wrestlers in the world. Like I've seen people say he's like the best wrestler in the world, like number two in the world. I, I, like it, that boggles my mind and really confuses me. But 
you know, you having him where you have him, even like a top 10, top 15 placement, I understand. Just when I see people who talk about Phoenix being like one of the absolute best in the world, I just haven't seen that. Yeah. And that's why, for me, he's like not in that top 25 range uh, because he's a very good seller, but he's super one note. I mean, not to say one note in his work, but I again, character-wise, I don't think that the heel is there. We'll see. It might be. I could be proven completely wrong, but I just don't think that the heel work is there for him. Um, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll see if he ever has a good heel run, but, um, unlike, you know, Pentagon who I'm not as high on in general, but I think can work babyface and heel a lot more smoothly. Um, mm. so yeah. And I can see if you don't appreciate that and his kind of selling and all that is, and the way that he connects with the crowd doesn't speak to you, then I mean, that's it. So it's like, it's really tough to justify having him even on the list. If you're not, if you don't, if that doesn't engage you, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number 25 I'm assuming you don't have him because you have not watched any WWE um, or at least main roster wise but number 25 I have Daniel Bryan um, I have seen a few Daniel Bryan matches this year but I abstain from any WWE wrestlers on my list out of uh, your main roster WWE wrestlers off my list just out of uh, feeling like I don't follow anything enough and it's unfair it's honestly to the same point where like if someone made most of their case in lucha I wouldn't I still wouldn't want to put them on my list because um, because it's not presented in a way that I enjoy and the style is so foreign to me when it comes to wrestling that uh, it almost would feel unfair or maybe un un uh, not very honest of me to have them on my list so daniel bryan returns in uh march of this year uh and for those like i'm I'm pretty sure if if you've listened to anything i've done for the last two years or so or two years or more going on three that i've been doing any kind of wrestling podcasting you know that i regard daniel bryan as the best wrestler that ever lived so getting to see him come back was a very emotional thing for me. But then Daniel Bryan just sort of doesn't matter for a little bit. It's not that he doesn't matter. It's the sort of content they're giving him. Um, one, he is being put into this feud after WrestleMania with a then employed Colin Cassidy, um, which, you know, assuming that Colin Cassidy was always on thin ice, it was probably just, it was probably always meant just to give Daniel Bryan some back, some wind back in his sails and get him back into the flow of things. But for me, it just like wrench of when um or reeked rather of when Daniel Bryan came back um in 2014 and they had him working with Kane and when he came back again and they had him working with Kane like that's what it felt like to me is that you have him back in your possession like this big over megastar this guy that can work with anybody and you're like oh yeah we're gonna put you with Kane again now we're gonna put you with Colin Cassidy and I think he eventually got something good out of Colin Cassidy not anything great but the best anyone could have ever got out of Colin Cassidy uh from then on, he sort of has like scattered really good TV matches against the likes of um, Andrade Almas and um, and uh, uh, I'm thinking right now Andrade Almas and Shelton Benjamin. Um, 
the SmackDown gauntlet where uh, he had stuff against uh, Big E and Samoa Joe and uh, guys like that. I honestly thought he had a better gauntlet performance um, this year than uh, Seth Rollins, uh, who, you know, well, doesn't make my list. But I thought, like, the stuff that he was able to do in that gauntlet match was really impressive for a guy that just came back from injury. I really loved that Miz match from SummerSlam. And then I didn't see it coming, but it made sense that we went with a Daniel Bryan heel turn. Now, the AJ match from uh, earlier on in the year, really great match. I think I went four on it. And then now the stuff later on for the WWE title is fantastic, fantastic stuff. Really some of the best wrestling on a mechanical level that you'll see all year. It's absolutely flawless stuff. It's nasty, it's vicious, it's exciting, it's entertaining. It's, you know, in my opinion, the two best wrestlers ever just going at it and putting on an absolute clinic. And then we get the heel turn. And it just makes all the sense in the world after all these setbacks and everything that it just makes sense. Like, maybe we just run with Daniel Bryan as a heel now. Because it feels like we've gotten all the mileage we can out of this babyface stuff. And then you get reminded... That Daniel Bryan is a career heel. That's his home. That's what he's used to. That's what he came up in. That's his bread and butter. So to come back and get Daniel Bryan reinventing himself again. You know, people talk about Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy like being these guys that reinvent themselves. Like, Daniel Bryan's getting up there as a guy that's reinvented himself numerous and numerous and numerous times. And right now he's sort of playing, um, I would say, almost like a CM Punk-ish character. You know, when CM Punk came back in... Uh, this was like early CM Punk stuff when he was talking about being straight edge and better than you. And then he re- rehashed it back in 2009. I think that's sort of what we're getting from Daniel Bryan with this environmentalist and vegan stuff. And using that as to why he's better than you and using it to talk down on you and all that stuff. And it's stuff that would be kind of goofy on paper. Like him talking down to Mustafa Ali about why he has an SUV and telling him like why he has... um this big carbon footprint and that he's a joke and that all this shit, like Daniel Bryan just makes it work. And then for me, what really sets it apart is the Daniel Bryan Brock Lesnar match. Now I didn't, I didn't watch it live. I watched it, um, maybe a week or two after the fact, but a lot of people watched that match and just, were just like, Oh, it was great, but it's just sort of a carbon copy and derivative of Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles from last year. And I think that's completely far from the truth and actually really disrespectful to that match. Because what they do is Daniel Bryan, more than anyone ever has, earns that ass whipping from Brock Lesnar. He prods him. He uh, runs away. He uh, smiles at him, smirks at him, mocks him, and all that stuff. So when Brock Lesnar eventually catches him and starts suplexing him to hell, like, you don't necessarily feel bad for Brian. It feels like he's earned that ass whooping. But he's still so great at selling and bumping that when he's taking these suplexes, you can't help but feel bad for the guy. And unlike AJ, where AJ just sort of like fought back naturally and organically like the fiery babyface should, Brian never did that. Brian's opportunities in that match came from Brock Lesnar fucking up. Brian's opportunities in that match came from Brock Lesnar being dumb and Brian being vicious and smart and manipulative and taking shortcuts and doing what he can to get the win. Brian is not a babyface at all in that match. 
So for working effectively a heel versus heel match, I think that totally blows away the narrative that this is some carbon copy of AJ versus Brock. And that's what really gets Dan Bryan the spot for me is that he was able to go out there and make a heel versus heel match work, you know, on the fly after like a week of being a heel, really. And he goes up there and just knocks out the park and closes it still being just as dastardly and evil as he was that same Tuesday that he turned heel. And then he goes out there um, and has a match with Mustafa Ali um, a week or so or the same week that we're recording this that absolutely ruled. And, you know, 2019, shaping up to be a wide open year. Daniel Bryan with this newly heel character, there's a real good chance we're talking about another wrestler wrestler of the year caliber year for Daniel Bryan in 2019. Yeah, and I mean, you're not wrong on any of that. The character stuff, the reinvention stuff is like such a good point, but we can get more into that when we're doing our dissertations on the, you know, the retrospective of the the end year or in career of Daniel Bryan at another time. But um the Brock match, the age, the Brock and uh Daniel Bryan match versus the Brock and AJ match. I was, I'm with you. I thought that that was ridiculous after I saw the match that so many people were telling me it was the same match. Um, Just felt like you weren't paying attention. I mean, the dynamic was so fucking different. And when you talked about the, the great selling um, getting you into it, it's like, yeah, the great selling though, didn't babyface Daniel Bryan. What it did was it just made you feel, you didn't really feel bad for him or care for him. You just, it made it so that Brock Lesnar's level of vicious violenceness just felt so otherworldly that it was like, shouldn't be happening at all. Not that like you were mad that it's happening to Daniel Bryan, but just that like, it's almost like almost a form of a war crime happening within a wrestling match where it's not about that. You think that the person having it happen to them does or doesn't deserve it, but just that it shouldn't be allowed in general. Um, So that was Mm -hmm. like kind of how that selling worked so much better uh, and still being able to keep him healed. So totally with you. Uh, We will talk a lot more about Daniel Bryan. Like I said, down the line when we're doing something where it makes more sense, but my number 25, I think, I think you're going to have him higher than me. Because you haven't said them yet. And um, it's just a question, I guess, in my mind right now is, are we talking about him tonight or are we talking about him on the next part? Is uh, Tyler Bate. Uh, we're going to talk about him tonight. We have, I have Tyler Bate a little bit higher. Um, Now, my 24, you haven't said them yet. So now I'm even curious on whether or not he made your list, which would be quite a turnaround if he made my list this year and didn't make your list. But someone who I've been quite quite outspoken about this year. Uh, my twenty four is Chris Brooks. Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's gonna be here in a little bit. All right. So my number twenty four is someone who uh, we kind of talked about their case sort of already, but uh, I felt like they were just the stronger part, and then had some more stuff. Um, is Dakota Kai. Dakota Kai did not make my list, but I'm really happy, like pleasantly surprised, but I shouldn't be surprised after you had, um, you know, people like Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair on your list. You're really high on a lot of those um, women coming women coming out of that um, NXT camp right now. Yeah, I mean, they're doing amazing work, but part of Dakota Kai, I mean, she's even above and beyond all the them, like, you know, the kind of the girls that are part of the Mae Young Classic and the um, NXT UK thing is... Um, I think Dakota Kai, if she had more matches, um, is probably easily the best babyface performer in wrestling right now. 
Um, mm. I just, I mean, I talked about it, but, but the Baszler feud being probably, probably my feud of the year would end up being in that conversation. Um, it's really tough to say for sure, but I mean, she is the most compelling babyface seller that there is in wrestling. Um, every match you get into her, she's a little spark plug. So then when she's on her offense, you're just a hundred percent behind her, but the way she ragdolls, the way that she conveys this kind of weakness and hopelessness that you just instantly gravitate towards as being just like concerned with. It's almost to the point where we talked about it multiple times so far this year that like, she's almost so good that it, it ruins her as a wrestler because you almost feel like how could she do anything? Cause she's so weak, but then she's able to rehab relatively quickly. I mean, they built her back up just in a couple matches in the NXT UK women's division, like to where you took her seriously again to be fodder to then again, make another girl very in a lot of ways, similar to Shayna and Rhea Ripley look fucking amazing going into the finals against, you know, against Tony storm. So yeah, I mean, just, very, very small handful of matches, but I mean, just, I can't not have who I consider the best baby face in wrestling on my list and just the most compelling performances. So it's like, yeah, just had to get her on here, had to get her in this place because like, there's nobody else I think that is drawing you into what's going on as much as she is right now. I'm really fascinated by this, like, you know, because I know Brock is a lot the same way where He's just like head over heels for Dakota Kai right now. And I'm just wondering, you know, as someone that was like, I know that you saw some Evie work um, back when she was still working on the independent scene. It's like, what's the difference? Because I all, because I know I'm in the contingent that um, Evie or um, Dakota Kai rather now um, has always had this quality about her and always had this in her. But obviously, like, you know, with um, something like NXT and weekly television behind her that, you know, are able to provide um narratives that are able to tug at the heartstrings you know she has a better opportunity to do things like that but i've always felt like dakota kai had that sort of innate like she can be one of those tippy top baby faces in the world one day characteristic about her yeah and that's it i mean that is 100 it is what you said it's not that it wasn't there before it's that now there's more to it so you you're invested in the character you you have more as her as a person the matches just as evie really especially I, you know, I didn't follow her super closely or the Australian scene super closely at the time she was there primarily. Um, you just didn't really get a feel for her as a person. So the matches felt more a la carte and piecemeal. They were very, you would see very flashes of a lot of the same stuff, very good at, you know, selling and getting you into it. But you, for me at least, didn't, um, didn't, uh, didn't feel invested in her really as as a performer or as a person so that that's what makes the huge difference now is that there feels like there's a depth to it mm. so uh moving on my number 23 is soberano jr who i know yeah you don't have on your list yeah no not this year maybe maybe next uh you know for me come come on come on flat out and say it i think soberano jr this year um, had a better year than any Dragon Lee's had in Dragon Lee's um what four years being a wrestler at this stage. Um, for me, Silverado Junior is like the real guy that has like a chance to be like a generation defining Technico. Um, I talked about this with um, with Babara Cavanario and I. 
I feel like this year he really took that uh that spot as the guy that can be, you know, the lead Rudo now that guys like Ultima Guerrero and Negro Casas, you know, maybe we're trying to wind down here and that Kavanaugh is like really taking his um rifle spot. And uh so Ron Jr. I feel like can be that next Atlantis. And you know, it makes sense, you know, looking at uh Serrano Jr.'s gear, um and mass, very clearly Atlantis expired and inspired. But a lot of the Barbara Barbara Cavanario and Sabrano Jr. stuff this year, honest to God, reminded me of the um, Atlantis and Sat- Satanica matches that we got in like the early mid '80s, where we see this young um, Atlantis going out there and getting his ass kicked. But you know he's fighting. He comes back. He can take. You know he can take an ass kicking and um, come back in the later falls and uh, put up a fight. And really, that's what um a lot of what Sabrano Jr. Um, year has been just being able to take these ass kickings whether it be in um lightning matches title matches um just straight up two or three falls matches with no belt on the line he takes an ass kicking he's one of the best sellers in wrestling you know what you said about phoenix and how phoenix just has like this ultimate baby quality about him i think sabrano jr has that in spades um i think with how um lanky and non-filled out sabrano jr is as of right now I think that leads to him being a little bit more sympathetic when he's taking such a like heinous asking from a guy like Bar- um, Barbaro Cavanario. And for me, you know, it's funny that we just talked about um, you having this like murderers or baby, baby faces and everything that you said about Dakota Kai, I could really sit here and apply to Soberano Jr. He's just mm-hmm. so sympathetic right now. And even in a place like CML- CMLL, where there's not a lot of storylines going on, there's not a lot of, um, stuff to latch onto as far as as far as narratives and all that stuff it's really throwing shit up against the wall and seeing what sticks that week but Soberano Jr. week in and week out when he's given a chance he just impresses me so much with how well he's able to just straight up be a baby face in that company it's not all about you know we're gonna have these athletic showcase matches which I'm not opposed to but like that's what you got from guys like Dragon Lee when Dragon Lee was coming up. That's what you were getting from guys like Barbaro Cavanario and Teton um, in your 2014 when those guys were coming up. Soberano Jr. is the purest babyface that we've had in Lucha in a while, I think. And I think, um, you know, in another year where I've just not been super uh, into the output that Mexico's had, Soberano Jr. was the bright spot. And I'm really, really excited for what the future holds for him. I really, I liked his ventures outside of Mexico against um Davis Star and um and Ref Pro, but you know Silverano Jr. really one of those tippy top baby faces in the world to me this year, and you know he hasn't had the same acclaim that a Dragon Lee had because Dragon Lee had the wild spot fest against Kamatachi that really put his name um into a different stratosphere, but. I think Soberano Jr. is better, and and if people really value the things they talk, they think about valuing, which is you know, selling and being able to space um, space your spots well and pacing and all that stuff, then they'd all be on a Soberano Jr. bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, I just talked about Lucha being a major issue for me, and and I've given up at this point, and I'm just going to accept that honestly. Um, that it's just I'm not going to train myself to be okay with it or, or be able to you know not just not be okay with it but i'm never going to really enjoy it so it's, i've just completely given up especially you know now with this having less time that i really want to devote to everything um so my 23 i think you might have higher uh minoru suzuki 
I had Minoru Suzuki at um, 39. Okay. I didn't remember you mentioning him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when he comes back into New Japan, um, I think starts out with kind of the never title run and some um, challenges and all the stuff that was going on last year. But it just felt like turned up this year, especially with the great tag work particularly with Zach um, in Rev Pro and then just the work in Rev Pro in general um, with the with the world title stuff as well um, but yeah the intercontinental title run or you know the intercontinental title win from uh, Tana, from Tanahashi was fantastic um, just great at, the, the, the match would go to Wrestle Kingdom like. yeah also was amazing like, like might have been my match of that show if I can remember correctly maybe not um yeah, it's, I mean, it was the best. I thought it was the best match on the show. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but it might have been. It probably was my my match of the show. Um, the only I think shining negative spot for me for any match for Suzuki this year was the um, Jeff Cobb match. I was really upset. Really, you didn't you didn't like that? No, I was upset with Jeff Cobb particularly about that right. match. I mean, I think you agreed. I don't know. Did you? Mm. I wouldn't. You know, I, I did agree. I did agree, but I thought that Jeff Cobb was good in the match for like him, you know, being like so on the defense. Yeah, I just I thought that he he let him he let himself get taken advantage of too much there, and that's not on Suzuki. Suzuki was really good. I mean, Suzuki was good in it, but he was just too dismissive, and it was just kind of shitty. Um, but you know, I don't know if it was translated or what, but he just didn't seem to understand or 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 whatever. That was the only match from him that I had any issue with this year, though. Really. Um, Loved him filling in for for Loki on Bloodsport against Matt Riddle. Um, it really, it was so cool. I mean, I think it was universally accepted as like, oh no, this is a major upgrade, you know. And a lot of people mm. like a last minute replacement thing can be a bummer, but yeah, I don't think there was anybody who wasn't like so much more stoked on that. So that just shows like the the presence, because um, people were other people always seem to be higher on Loki than I ever am. So when i was hearing that and i think and i think it's like people had like a morbid curiosity like they wanted to see if like riddle and like loki would actually like get unprofessional and shoot on each other which is like you know if people want that out of wrestling then like good for them but like if i wanted to see like a surefire this match is gonna rule kind of thing then i was always like riddle versus Minoru suzuki was always like the safer bet here yeah for sure and i thought that match the match was really fucking good um Solid and all the tag stuff. I mean, obviously, the Suzuki-Gun tag stuff gets really, really formulaic and you know what to expect. But not the tag stuff with him and Saber. I mean, that stuff was all great. The Keith Lee match, I think it's interesting. That match feels like it gets overlooked at this point. And I didn't really understand it because from the buzz that was coming out of the building, it sounded like everyone was super into it. And then on tape, it was, I thought, very, very good. But it feels like it's just completely gotten overlooked at this point where no one is talking about it for match of the year lists or anything like that um i thought it was really fucking good it really it's part of what you were talking about with keith coming into his own this year i thought that he looked all completely game uh in there with suzuki which is you know like a legendary figure in wrestling um the title went over ishii and rpw i thought was great it was a really great shocking evil heel victory in the end that you probably that i didn't see coming um really really good throughout the g1 um pretty much Every match in the G1, again, he he was having solid performances, even against guys like Toge Makabe, who's always a stinker, usually, for me. Loved the match with Jay White. Loved the match with um, Yoshihashi. So, yeah, for me, I mean, just 
everything phenomenal gets his character um you know the the kakihara i don't know if you saw the kaki ride show but the kakihara match was uh interesting i'll say uh, <laughs> for being pretty much nothing um but it really played off of his kind of presence and just his you know his aura so that just plays into everything else thatcher match in ott fantastic i mean just that was the thing is he kept getting booked into stuff like that and then delivering exactly what you were hoping for um, except for maybe the, the Kakihara match just being nothing. Cause I think going into that, I was really excited. Um, so yeah, I mean, just the guy has really perfected his craft at what he's doing. And so it just, it helps to, uh, to make everything super good and, and really makes him a standout in uh, new Japan, which is kind of funny. Cause this was the year of the old guys being the standouts of new Japan, I guess. You know, like, yeah, like there's not a lot to say about Minoru Suzuki that people don't already know. It's like, a lot of people were down on him for a couple of years, and here we are. And he has a couple of amazing matches with Tanahashi. I like the Okada stuff that we got from him, got from him this year. The incredible Goto match. You know, um, if Suzuki Goon um, proper, which I, which I call them, I think between Zach and uh, Misu, got to do some more stuff. I would they they no realistically, you could still probably call them like a top ten, arguably top five tag team of the year just based on output because they had a lot of re- a lot of really good matches. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I really do want to see more of. And I wish that we did um, get them seeming in the world tagly. But, you know, whatever. Like, that was like that was always sort of a pipe dream. Uh, but, yeah, like, there's not a lot to say about Minoru Suzuki. Like, if you are one of the people that don't like him because he does long leg locks and he crowd brawls and whatever. But, you know, amazing facial expressions. Um really really simplistic he knows how to make the most out of a moment uh for me there's nothing to really dislike about Minoru Suzuki this year uh he could he have uh had a little bit more variety like I would have loved I would have loved to see him face more people in RPW other than Ishii but you know that's like a really minor complaint because those matches were really good but you know if I would have like got to see him versus uh now, say if we say if, if we would have got like Misu versus David Starr, like would have made much sense because David Starr's line is a heel, but you know that would have been something cool to see here. Seeing uh Minoru Suzuki throw a um singles match um towards the way of like um Kyle Fletcher or Mark Davis or or guys like that in those in that vein. So I really enjoyed everything that we got from Minoru Suzuki this year, and he was looking like a legit wrestler of the year caliber guy throughout the first three months, but you know. Not everybody, when you're in New Japan, is going to be able to keep up that level of uh, work, especially um, when you're not being given stuff to be uh, super invested in. And really, he, a lot of his case is hurt. Um, you didn't mention this, but like, but the Tetsuya Naito match is just sort of falling on their faces both times. You know, in May and in September, these two just don't have that kind of chemistry. And um, it definitely hurt Naito more than uh, Suzuki, I think, because Suzuki still wound up making my list. But... When I still think Suzuki is as great as he is, and he couldn't um, get a match, getting like get anything great out of Naito, who I still think can be a great wrestler, had great matches in 2018. That that, that certainly was disappointing, though. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, that's fair. All right, uh, so to move on, my number 22. You do not have him, but my number 22 is AJ Styles. No, I do not have AJ. Um, so not a lot to say about AJ, but real late push AJ made, I'll say, um, 
first half of the year. No, granted, I, I was higher on his first half of the year than a lot of people were. Um, the Sami Zayn, John Cena, and Daniel Bryan matches um, in January, I really did enjoy. I lo- loved all of those. Um, and I thought people were sort of underrating what AJ had been doing, but you know, whatever. Um, the fast lane um, five-way scramble match, I thought AJ was really good in that. And the Nakamura matches aren't bad. They're not like case makers, but these aren't bad matches that AJ's having with Shinsuke Nakamura. Especially the one um, that they have at Money in the Bank. It's actually pretty good. Now, everything changes for AJ, though, once we get to Rusev. Now, Rusev is a guy that's never really had anything on that level. You know, whether you're a big Rusev fan and you're arguing, oh, Rusev's never had the opportunities or whatever. Rusev just never had anything as good as he had versus AJ Styles at Extreme Rules. Absolutely phenomenal match. AJ going after Rusev's knee, Rusev's knee the way Rusev sold it. Phenomenal stuff. Then we get to AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. And this is a few that a lot of us are actually really worried about internally in our little group chat in that they sort of like made this more dramatic than it had to be. AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe writes itself. AJ Styles and Samoa Joe have known each other for a, for a super long time. They're best friends and they want to feud over the title because Samoa Joe was a psychopath that wants to belt and AJ Styles is a valued babyface champ. You know, that's all you had to do. But of course, Road Dog wants to throw in that Samoa Joe was talking about AJ Styles' wife and children and he, Samoa Joe might be invading AJ Styles' house. Like, you know, like doing way too much in a story that didn't need that. But you know what? These guys still went out there in every single match, tore the house down. SummerSlam, Hell in a Cell, Super Showdown in Australia. You know, some of the best main roster matches you'll see all year. Then he goes out there and has a couple of matches um, for the WWE title against Daniel Bryan. Fucking great, great matches. I've talked about it with Bryan. Some of the most like flawless wrestling on a mechanical level you'll see all year. And... You know, it's stuff like that where you people were so ready to write off AJ Styles as, you know what, maybe he's just not that good anymore. He was passed his prime over the hill. He had his run um, in 2016. That's it. No, it just also has it in him. And that's the kind of stuff that makes AJ Styles, in my, in my eyes, the second best, wrestler, second best wrestler to ever live behind Ryan. Is that you very much thought that AJ was past his prime and that, he had um stopped being the great wrestler anymore. And then he just goes out there and he has like five of the best or five or six of the best main roster matches of the year. And then you realize like everything he was doing back in January and February. This guy had a really good year. I think he had a better year than what he had in um um in twenty seventeen as far as a totality. Like I didn't he doesn't have anything, um I think most people would consider like the level of uh the John Cena match from the Royal Rumble. But I like a couple matches that he's had this year more than that John Cena Rumble match. That first eight, the first Brian title match and that um those two um Joe matches from SummerSlam and um Super Showdown, I think are better than the John Cena Rumble match. But you know, this is what the best wrestlers of all time do. They you feel like they're uh running out of running out of us of gas in the tank. You feel like they're over the hill and no. They're still great. AJ Styles, Yunakiyama, Daniel Bryan, like these guys are still great and having phenomenal years. And seeing AJ come back to life like that was really awesome to see. And 
there's still a whole bunch of juice in a possible AJ AJ Styles Daniel Bryan feud, and I'm really excited for what this for to see what they can do with TLC. Yeah, and I mean that plays into more themes later on. I'm talking about guys who are coming into you know second, third, fourth acts in their career. It seems like and. AJ has been awesome. What year was it that he won, or he was the number one on the We Don't Know Wrestling 100? Was that 2006, that was 17? Last year, that was actually. Last and year. Like, that was, yeah, that was a year where like AJ really didn't deserve that or shouldn't have been that. But it's like, AJ is just someone that everybody likes. Right. And I think this year, if it happened again, it's like, I wouldn't agree with it, but AJ had... The year where he has the TV matches, he has the pay-per-view matches, you know, there is a case for him. You know, two separate feuds where um he has like um what I would call like two feuds like feud of the year contenders, at least in ring feud of the year year contenders. You know, um, really, because AJ for me when we did um when when the last time GWE came around, AJ was a little bit outside of uh my top ten. And really, that sort of like speech, sort of like speaks to like the cowardice that um that I had back then. You know, being new <laughs> to the bubble and I mean, like, oh man, can I really have guys like AJ Styles and Sami Zayn above like Kenta Kabashi and Jewish Thunder Liger? And it's like back then I felt weird about that, but now, but now I don't. Like I feel perfectly safe and valid in those opinions to the point where I feel like AJ is the best, the second best wrestler ever, and I think this year really does no, does nothing more than just, you know, validate, like, how great AJ Styles is to me. Right. And as they continue for WWE to grow and uh, and for AJ and Brian to still be making their cases in WWE, it's great because the people who uh, spent all this time basically poo-pooing any fucking wrestler born, like, after 1980 um, as possibly being a contender for you know wrestler or hall of fame or greatest wrestler of all time because they didn't draw the money or whatever um now wwe is making more money than ever and aj styles has been on top for how long you know yeah going on three going on three years yeah so you just say wwe is making more money than they ever have maybe from tv deals but who fucking cares they're still drawing more money than they ever have in the past and aj styles was the face of the main brand that's getting moved to fox at the beginning of next year, he's been the top star of that brand. So it's hard to then argue that he didn't draw enough money. You know what I mean? On top of yeah. the level of of proficiency he's having in ring or still has in ring. Um, all right. So my 22, you mentioned just a couple ago. I think maybe 24, 25 is uh, Chris Brooks. Uh, yeah, Chris Brooks at 24. 24. So, I mean, I don't know. Um the biggest star of UK independent wrestling, really. Um, I think that people probably think that that's Pete Dunne because of. Uh, or they would, or, or or they would say or they would try to throw out Walter, like. Right, but I think that the guy who, honestly, and there's no way to prove this, but I bet if you looked at it, the guy who probably sells the most tickets on UK shows is probably Chris Brooks. Uh, just because he's on so many fucking shows and he's such a big part of so many shows. Uh, you could also get into some more nebulous backstage stuff and talk about his booking or, his, you know, whatever else he's doing that's helping make promotions feel hot, but not even talking about that. Just 
the amount of places that he works, the amount of high profile matches that he has, the amount of awesome programs that he does, um, the amount of intrigue that he gets, the amount of shirts and and stickers and pins and buttons that he sells. I mean, he probably, yeah, he's probably the biggest drawing wrestler in the UK scene. Um, the way that he can basically be the scuzziest heel on the planet, um, somehow the way that he like treats Millie McKenzie and other female wrestlers where it's like somehow he can be as dismissive and shitty as Joey Ryan with none of the creepy perfness, um, is always really cool. Um, that like, it just, it really does. It's like knowing his background and how much he studied stuff. I, I would almost believe, like, I know he's a big pwg fan so he probably saw all of that candace and joey stuff and he almost took like a very similar style and perfected it um by being more forward thinking and not necessarily having it be sexualized or treating women like they're different because they're women but really taking advantage of how to work as a heel on top against a woman um in like the perfect way um tetsujin i mean i know you know he was there to set up chris ridgeway but he was perfect um getting on the way to getting there and honestly i really kind of think he probably should have won um but that's not you know my place to speak especially looking at what happened to ridgeway after it's like who is the guy that you would want connected to your brand more but whatever um cck stuff obviously throughout the year but just with a bunch of different partners um one of the standout performers of all of 16 karat weekend i think um as a star as a in-ring performer i mean I thought the David Starr match being comedy was actually really a nice reprieve on Inner Circle. Um, Alexander James match was fantastic. The Keith Lee match was, I mean, a really great showing. Him. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah. I loved him versus Keith Lee. Yeah. I mean, it was such a great showing for just like big versus little, the dynamic, everything, the way that it went. Um, I thought he had the best. I thought he had the best catches. Oh no, match of, of um, Super Strong Style Weekend. I agree with that one for sure. Um, all of the stuff in Fight Club Pro, obviously, be it tagging with Gresham to forming Schadenfreude, which then becomes like the catalyst for making um, Kyle Fletcher into a big star. It seems like I loved the Michael Sat- the Michael Satamora matches. Yeah, I loved the Michael Satamora matches. Um, I don't I don't think you saw this, but like he had them with the, during like the little mini feud between. Uh, Brooks, uh, Cooper, and Banks to start the year. In oh progress. yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 saw I that. really, I really love Brooks versus TK. <laughs> like they're no, they're yes, no DQ yes. match. I really like that. I, I, I remember liking the Brooks versus uh Banks title match a lot more than I liked the uh, Banks versus TK. Not to say that was bad, but I, I really liked the ideas that they had in Brooks and, and Brooks versus Banks. Like to you, you can go ahead, but like looking at Brooks's year, he has so much volume and all great volume i mean there's no i mean the guy just quality matches after quality matches i really i think there's people that he doesn't quite tickle their fancy and we had like it might have been more 2016 than last year but you know where he was doing a lot more garbage brawls and stuff and not necessarily as much wrestling but yeah 20 like 20 like 2016 and 2017 like he wasn't making my list because in 2017 i think maybe that was like a little unfair um, I believe I put on him, but 2016 certainly was a lot of a lot more garbage wrestling. In 2017, had hints of it. Nope, not at all this no, year. Not this at all year, this year. You couldn't. You can't even use that excuse. Yeah, this year all really in ring stuff that's really 
fantastic and going from the single stuff he's good the tag stuff i mean the way that he's weaving in and out like i said i mean he'll go from tagging with john gresham against Rinkomp to tagging you know with timothy thatcher against you know the whoever it doesn't matter like it's like it's great the way that he can switch all around have different partners dances with everyone um and makes everyone look great team, team, teaming with lucky kid in the in the, in the chris travis uh invitate in the invitational like, yeah and people like like and a lot of people like would dismiss that like well oh it's not hard to work with like you no know, other best wrestlers in the world like mean having great wrestlers doesn't mean it's always going to be a great tag team you know like i can't say that i think that timothy thatcher would be like a great tag team partner like every single time like every single person he teams up with you know that's someone Chris Brooks is someone where he's just like super adaptable, and that's why that works. Just because someone is great doesn't mean they're the most adaptable. Yeah. And Chris Brooks is maybe the most adaptable wrestler on the planet right now. And for me, I'm not like again, you're a much bigger Chris Brooks fan than me, but I feel like I've been banging the drum this year harder. Yeah. Is that I feel like you can't sit here and talk to me about like oh, this person is such a solid hand. You can go all the way up the car, up and down the car with them. They can be the main event. They can open the car. They can scramble. They can do tag matches and like use that as a calling card for some guys. And then for Chris Brooks, it doesn't matter. That's absolute shit. Just say you don't like Chris Brooks and move on. But Chris Brooks can work in a shoot style setting. He can, he has shown that he can like have great tag team matches with so many different people. He can go, go out there with your Walters and your, um, and, um, in uh, your Cassius Onos and go out there and have great singles matches. He can go out there and have great brawls. He can go out there and be your main event. He can go out there and uh, be sort of like a talking head figure in, in the stable and not really like the main focus of it. Everything that you want, that you supposedly act like you want out of a, out of a wrestler, Chris Brooks has given to you. So there's no reason to sit here and play this game about Chris Brooks not being good. If you don't like him, you don't like him. But I'm just not going to sit here and let people go about, like, talking about how much variety this person had in this promotion and all that shit. When Chris Brooks did the same thing all over England this year without his tag team partner and Kid Lycos, which is a fucking, could have been a death sentence. Let's be true. Let's be true. Let's be real here. CCK was the hottest commodity in England last year. You know, Travis Banks was there, but Travis Banks also falls under, under the CCK umbrella. And then Walter more like a bro by phenomenon cck was really really about to pop off you know they would have got pwg bookings they would have got a whole bunch of stuff and then lycos got hurt brooks got hurt and when you're someone that's an independent wrestler and you're taking that time off like someone can step into that spot really quickly and the fact that chris brooks was only to was not only able to um maintain that relevancy but keep doing it while changing his role and changing what's asked of him. You know, like, he had one of the most difficult positions of any wrestler this year. And honestly, just talking, I could talk myself into him being higher because he's had such a difficult road this year when you, like, consider, like, how much CCK meant to that English scene and really what CCK was becoming. And the fact that CCK um, of him and Lycos had to go on the shelf like that. When CCK was like so personality driven and so boisterous and loud, and then you go and he teams with Gresham, and Gresham is sort of like sort of playing Lycos, but it's a lot more based off isolating and working on a limb. Him and Timothy Thatcher is pretty much like 
two guys almost like working working catch style and just isolating limbs and beating the shit out of people. He can go out there and have great singles matches, and he's did that with people that are among the best in the world or people that or um, wrestlers that people will call like among the best ever. It's like I don't I don't I just get so frustrated with people because it just feels like a thing where they let little things get in the way of everything that this wrestler has accomplished and did this year. When if it was anyone else that they didn't have like this weird bias against, they'd be all for talking about, wow, this guy has been so versatile this year. And I mean, not just the, you talked about the versatility. He can hold his own with everyone. He can be a great tag, but he also, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in wrestling who comes, comes close to being able to make people the way that Chris Brooks can. Chris Brooks can make any opponent, it seems like. I don't know if you just, on the return of the Pac show, he's wrestling uh, Michael Oka or Oha or whatever it was. He made that guy feel like something even in a kind of a semi-competitive job match. I feel like he made Millie McKenzie early in the year feel bigger. He made, he made, he made Aussie open. Like. He, I was going to say completely made Aussie open into what they are now. Um, I mean... Mako Satamora feels like a bigger deal coming in beating Chris Brooks for the title in in um, Fight Club Pro. You know, I mean, he just for a guy with his size and he's not a huge bumper really, and you know, not really like a crazy seller, but he does elevate the people he's against repeatedly, and then again on top of that, can stand toe to toe with the best in the world. So just yeah. All arounder in every sense of the word, um, and then not one of these. You talked about, you kind of mentioned the good hand thing, but not just a good hand. He also has star power. He's not just the carpenter. Mm. He also can can um, can really stand out on his own as the top level guy. And you know, there is the argument: can't could he be the focus, the champion for a, a, a promotion for long term in singles matches only? He has not shown necessarily the ability to do that but he also seems like as soon as he's had the chance he kind of um slips right back into into going into tag stuff instead so i don't know that that's because and that's the thing with brooks is that you can't like have this issue with this guy about him not being um a sustained singles guy when he's admitted out of his own mouth like several times on podcast that he acknowledges his own, his own strengths and weaknesses, and he fully acknowledges that he is a better tag guy and that, that a singles wrestler isn't exactly his strength. So that's something where if people point into that, it's like, all right, cool, but like that came out of Chris Brooks's mouth. Like right. He knows that's not his strong suit. Right, and his ability to switch back and forth within tag. I mean, his versatility in tags is also super impressive, like we talked about it, but the way that he can mix into different partners. Because even some guys who are just better tag workers, they're still limited, and he's not limited within the realm of tag working at all. Mm. You know, like, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be something when we, um, because, um, you know, with the We Don't Know Wrestling 100 panel, not 100 panel, We Don't Know Wrestling, uh, from, you know, there's always Barry Sanders coming up and me being on a panel of that is something where I'm not going to fight for like Chris Brooks to be like, you know, a top 10 guy or even like seriously have him like as a wrestler of the year contender. But I am sort of using Chris Brooks as like, all right, like if you're going to make this case for this person, then like, how come you, how can I, how come you have such an issue with Chris Brooks? Like, right. That's sort of like, he's going to be like my barometer. He's a for cudgel. He's, you're going to be using him as a cudgel to beat up those goddamn dirty Southerners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I mean, totally. He is a really good kind of measuring stick, especially for a lot of people who want to act like they're not necessarily biased, but you know, they, in a lot of ways they really are. Cause it's like, what is the reason? What can you point to as the issue? And it's, I don't, I don't see it. All right, but we, we can move on here. Um, that was your 22. That was my 22. Yeah. All right, my number 21. I'm not sure if you even said him or if he's going to make your list, but my number 21 is Kota Ibushi. No, Kota um, is, let me see, 55 for me right now. Oh, okay, barely missed. Yeah. Um, it's going to be something I mentioned uh, when we get to uh, Daniel Makabe, which I assume is going to be, um, you know, the third part of this uh, series, but... Other than Daniel Makabe, Kota Ibushi had, I think, the highest, like, hit percentage out of anyone in wrestling this year. And hit percentage is, like, we go out there and, like, look, Kota Ibushi didn't have a ton of singles matches. He has, um, Cody, um, the match with Hangman from ROH, um, or both Cody matches, rather, uh, and other scattered stuff. Kota Ibushi doesn't have a lot of singles matches, but every singles match is fucking incredible. And I'm not and I'm not the guy that goes off of an amazing G1. That's not me, but I also have like five Kota Ibushi matches from this year's G1 that four and a half stars. I I liked I liked what he did in the New Japan Cup facing um Zack Sabre Jr. and Yoshihashi. Like he just a guy that delivers every single time you ask him to um obviously the golden lovers tag um against the young bucks or lovers versus uh okada and ishii from the uh september um new japan show it's like kota ibushi just never is like below a certain level it's a kind of consistency especially like when it comes to high-end matches that's like rarefied air because Kota Ibushi isn't the most pushed commodity anywhere Kota Ibushi is very much playing second fiddle to Kenny Omega he's pushed but he's not the guy or the focus and maybe never will be but Kota Ibushi is such a surefire bet to have a great match and you know there's really not that many people out there that you can have that kind of same discussion with and you know it's he's all around her. He can sell, a mate, incredible bumper, can do the flying, great striking, can work something slower and more mat based because he does have a little bit of that background. He can throw the bombs, anything you want him to do, like work a sprint, work something uh more drawn out and laid out like a G one final. He can do that. Kota Ibushi is just so fucking great, and you wish that Kota Ibushi, you know, had the trust of uh the new japan office to push him harder than they um than they have been but you know you get it like kodabushi has been a little flaky and kodabushi you know is a character and you don't know when he's gonna want to go do something else but you get the sense that kodabushi is in it at least for right now for the long haul and i'm excited to see what happens with kodabushi versus will osprey but you know kodabushi just every single time he had a match this year i just left it like wow that's the best wrestler in the world. And he's not my number one ranked guy, but when you give me that feeling that I'm watching the best in the world, like that's going to stick with me. And 
he did that so many times this year that I just couldn't help but have him high on my list. Yeah, and I can I can see everything there. Uh, so limited, and then also something I'm thinking about as you're talking, it's kind of that performance aspect. Something similar to what I was talking about with Flamita, um, compared to Bandito, like the some of his stuff can come across a little bit too performancey for me. Um, it's not bad, but it does hurt his execution a little bit. And then just very limited shocked that he didn't get any outside dates at all this year, really um, outside of new Japan. I thought that was kind of crazy. Um, you would think that he would be at least somewhere in that conversation of even like a Kenny Omega getting a couple matches randomly to show off in other places. Um, and that just kind of lack of having matches hurts him for me. I thought the match with Saber in the New Japan Cup was really good, too, and kind of forgotten about at this point, um, probably by a lot of people. The tag stuff was good, but playing an accessory to to Omega and, uh, and not having a whole lot meat on the bone this year hurt him quite a bit. But, I mean, you're right on everything else. Fantastic performer. Um, my 21... I can't. You have to have the Young Bucks on your list, right? Oh, yeah. Much higher. Much okay. higher. All right. I was going to say, I was like, there's no way that you don't have the Young Bucks. Um. Well, my number 20 is someone that you mentioned a little bit ago. Well, not a little bit ago. He was mentioned on part one. But my number 20 is Joey Janela. Oh, yeah. Joey Janela was on my list at uh, number 36. And, uh, yeah. All right, well, for me with Joey this year is that, you know, even Blake um, with the injury, it felt like he, this year was really when he found the perfect marriage between being, like, the wacky, out-there guy who books the, these ridiculous shows and will give him the self these ridiculous matchups like Jinsei uh, uh, Shinsaki and the great Sasuke and uh, PCO and all that stuff. And he can go out there and still have great matches with the likes of uh, Darby Allin and... David Starr at American Ron at a no rope barbed wire and uh Timothy Thatcher. I mean not Timothy Thatcher, I mean um I mean Walter and Beyond and uh Jonah Rock and PWG and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's what I was looking for from Joey last year. And that's not necessarily what I got. And for me, like the best Joey, he mixes like this crazy, insane, weirdo stuntman with this person who's also like a little bit out there and dangerous and smart and cagey. And I think in 2018, Joey found the perfect ma- marriage of that. And I'm not sure how much better it could have gotten for him in 2018, even without the knee injury. Um, but I felt like, you know, him coming into WWN, I feel like the David Starr feud and uh, the little bit of stuff he was able to accomplish in a PWG really showed how complete joey had become and you know it's, it's a shame that joey suffered that knee injury when he did because joey was um really finding his stride in evolve and you know it's such a what if you know what if joey um didn't uh tear the jcl and like what would have happened because you see what happened with wwe and of all and evolve um and nxt's involvement there with the Street Profits and Fabian Eichner and Mustafa Ali and Cassiusono all showing up there now, is that what would have happened with Joey Janela in that field if Joey Janela doesn't get hurt? Does he get casted out 
you see someone that's going to be in there wrestling, you know, your Chris heroes and getting those kind of big opportunities or would, um, you know, just been another guy on the roster and we will never know, but I really thought Joey Janela showed how complete he is as an overall act this year. Yeah. I mean, everything you said there, a hundred percent, the feud with David Starr, obviously a big time feather in the cap for him in a year with not a lot of great feuds that are stuff constantly felt so heated and just so brutal um having what was the early front runner for match of the year against david star in that in the in uh, new year's eve um the brian pillman jr match you probably didn't see from early in the year in black label pro um was the was it like a real good showing of joey making someone green and young look as good as possible which was really impressive because joey's not someone that people think about as being super talented as a wrestler joey had, joey had one of i thought joey had one of the um you know more honest pco matches of the year yeah you know joey you know joey versus pco from gcw it's like being like completely honest about what pco actually is and like treating it like this like big freak man stunt show yeah totally didn't not a fan of the Ray Horace match in PWG, but everything else he did in PWG was great. Um, obviously talked about the tag stuff with Penelope Ford, uh, the great Suzuki match. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was what it was as a match, but you can't argue with the effectiveness and the crowd and the the shows and just the promotion and everything that he's doing that he gets the most out of everything, even with that being just like kind of a hot mess um, of a match. And it- and even in, in with Joey, like, it's a thing where, like, we did, like, maybe like, we didn't kind of kind of with, like, Chris Brooks, but, like, with Joey, like, maybe we should be counting, like, his, like, quote, like, quote, unquote, like, run as a booker. Because he isn't, like, or, like, whether we liked it or not, like, he does bring guys like PCO and Marco Stunt um, to the front, to, like, the front of, like, the wrestling fandom. And, like, granted, like, um, PCO's um, sort of started to wane out a little bit, in my opinion. And then Marco Stunts got short-lived due to injury. But him bringing those guys um to the uh, middle of the wrestling zeitgeist like, might be, like, big feathers in the cap for Joey Janela. Like, how uh, Joey Janela co-signed became one of the biggest things for a guy in wrestling this year. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, one that hasn't completely come to fruition yet and hopefully will be not as snake bit as the two you just mentioned there. But, uh... Uh, Jungle Boy, who shows up mm. and gets r- rave reviews, and then now is booked in PWG, and a guy who should have been in PWG probably already. I mean, he's already a California guy, and he's really he deserves it. But Joey gets his name out there, and now we'll see. You know, as he continues to move forward, so that is something to say. And because it's not the same as Chris Brooks, and I did mention it, but the difference with Joey is that Joey's being the promoter, booker, whatever is that's out there. That's part of the narrative of the show. That's part of the kayfabe of the universe. So to be fair, it's like being booked on a Joey show is the reason why you're getting over is because of Joey Janela, the wrestling character. Uh, you Uh. know, some of that is, is being transferred to you. So it is fair to have that account for part of his wrestling. Um, then, yeah, when he shows up in WWN, I mean, that's when he really feels like he turns it up when it comes to the wrestling and he shows, like, I can go. I am not just wild man doing freak shows. Um, I can hang with these guys. And I know it, it would be very interesting to see what would be going on right now um, if he was 
in Evolve still, or possibly able to still be in Evolve, would be very interesting. Um, just because would he be there, or would he have been jettisoned? I don't know. Um, his Bola appearance this year. I mean, David Star match. Obviously, that was a smart booking with their history with each other. It was fantastic. He gets to go up against uh, Shima in a win that I don't think anyone would have predicted, and then just has this all-out crazy, wild, insane match with bandito that i think really shines up bandito for the final that makes bandito feel like the the guy so yeah i mean star making performances across the board star making kind of um just aura in general and just uh larger than life leaps off the page kind of guy who's created his own kind of uh his own market and uh his own stratosphere Mm -hmm. that other people have to kind of try to catch up to uh my number 20 is Jordan Grace. All right, I don't have Jordan Grace, but can't argue with this at all. And honestly, I would, I would have thought you had her higher. Yeah, I mean, limited amount of matches hurts her in some ways, but pound for pound, I mean, amazing performer. Um, gets the crowd super invested in her stuff. Really believable as this just powerhouse, kick ass, you know, just top of the line badass chick um shows up on all in and just has this phenomenal um showing in the rumble and just a star making kind of thing in the rumble as well that puts her if you weren't if you had kind of heard of her she's on the periphery i think it really launches her into the front of people's minds and then uh you know interacting with brian cage there and uh then you know if you were if you were into her if you were already kind of into Jordan Grace is just another big feather in the cap getting to see her show off like that. Um, maybe what could have helped her too was more Team Pog action this year. Team Pog was so hot last year and then it felt like this year it really completely fell off. And Lufisto still continued to have good matches this year, but she turned down kind of the amount of matches she was having too. So she may have been, that may have been part of why there wasn't more of those, but those tag team matches were great. The ones that we did get this year were limited. The I really liked the LAX match. Um, I really like LAX in general. So, you know, I, I, I dug that. Um, I got to see her live this year against uh, Katie Lee Burchill. <laughs> which was interesting, but really good. Um, I thought that Jordan was phenomenal live. Um, just really, again, kind of has star power, star presence, carries herself well, everything looks good. Felt like the star of the Making the Towns classic. Uh, really kind of felt like she seemed to me like she should have been the, the presumptive winner, but I can't argue with the booking in the end. I did like, I do like Kylie Ray, so her winning isn't terrible. But yeah, I mean, part of her issue too is part of the issue with a lot of women. It's that her competition isn't always the best. When she does get good competition she knocks it out of the park um the women's commonwealth cup was she was great the whole way through um they really kind of accentuated who she was booked with all the way through and winning the tournament looked great um rachel ellering perfect first round match for her kind of the you know power lifter versus thick mama pump great mat- power match back and forth mia yim match she got to show off her ability to keep up with you know the more assassinative striker type where she's using her power game going up against her and then the alley cat match felt like the really two sides of the same coin the two big bruisers collide you know immovable object versus the irresistible force kind of um final clash of the champions there to help that tournament feel like a bigger deal which i liked the men's commonwealth cup this year too so the women's commonwealth cup feeling more important running concurrently was really cool both of them felt like they were you know turning up the importance uh the match with um david star 
I mean, the Nova Pro match with David Starr was phenomenal. I mean, David is so good here as a heel. You forget, again, he's one of these guys, you forget how good of a heel he is because of how amazing babyface he is. So it's just like so great there working with David. Then she starts showing up in England this year, um, working in Eve Progress a little bit. Um, but I don't think, I haven't seen any of her Progress matches yet. Um, I don't know if they've even come out yet, but the Eve stuff was all really good. She was involved in a tournament for the title. Really great match with Sammy Jane. A four-way match with Kaylee Ray, Charlie Morgan, and Killer Kelly. Um, match with Sierra Loxton that was okay. And not a huge Sarah Loxton fan myself. Um, and I thought that the match was okay. Not necessarily that Sarah's bad, but just wasn't that great. Um, the Tracy Williams Powerbomb TV title, I was loving until the injury. And I still thought was very good up until that point. Um, so yeah, I mean, just all around her really cool match with Tessa Blanchard that happened on like a random, I think ring warrior show or something. And it just sucked. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't think we're ever going to get the real payoff on this. Cause they did like a stupid smas finish, but then she starts showing up an impact. So hopefully they can build back to that. Cause those two had really good chemistry. So I'd love for them to be building to Jordan versus Tessa, uh, moving forward, I think that that could be a really cool matchup because those two showed off, like I said, the really great chemistry that they already had in that one match that had a bullshit finish that they had more background and build and then had a full match. I think that they could really deliver and just, I mean, just, she just feels like a huge star, um, feels like she's on the upswing as well. Someone who's who's just uh, multi-talented, you know, believable as all fucking hell and just, yeah, great wrestler this year. So, you know, it's like, again, be sort of being checked out on US Indies is why uh, Jordan Grace isn't making my list. But, you know, like, when I've seen her, and this is what is something you mentioned, is like Jordan Grace just feels like so much better than a lot of the people she's around right now. And like, that's a, like, that's like a weird problem to have, but it's like an actual problem she's going to have to start facing is that, that like, I feel like the US women's indie scene is kind of barren right now. And it's like, where exactly is she going to be getting this competition? when you see like the kind of level that she's on right now and will she ever be like it's gonna be a question of like is she like gonna be able to like elevate her opponents all the time are people gonna um, step up with her is she gonna like get people on her quality or is she, is she gonna get um you know these trips to japan to get your to, you know get to face some of these uh you know high quality women like i say like Emilia yamashita or your mai watanis and momo watanabe's and things like that and no one really knows what the future holds for Jordan Grace, but, you know, she definitely is someone where, you know, sort of like like Kaylee Ray with me last year. If someone said that Jordan Grace is the best wrestler in the world, I wouldn't bat an eye at it because I, I totally understand and believe someone who makes an argument for that. Yeah, and again, I mean, it is that. And it's hard to get better. You can't get better when you're not wrestling people who are better than you. It's just the way it works. So, unfortunately... Yeah, her not having a lot of big-time competition. But Japan seems like a natural fit for her. It's just like, when does she go? Or does she get scooped up? It, she seems like she should be on WWE's radar already. So it just it's weird that she's not, honestly, or there hasn't been rumors of it. Um, yeah, it makes it makes me think that either she's been turning stuff down or like something has to be going on. Yeah, there's just something about it that doesn't make sense, you know. And I don't, you know, don't want to speculate about personal life or whatever. But whatever it is, like she should be either going to Japan or you would think WWE would be knocking by now. But we'll see. We'll see what 2019 looks like. I expect just more of the same, if not better. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, 
my number 19 is someone that you have higher, but uh, Masashi Takeda. Yeah, Masashi Takeda. Uh, unfortunately, we probably won't be talking about him tonight. My uh, number 19, I guess you won't have, would be my assumption, is Dominic Garini. Yeah, I didn't have Dom. Yeah, Dom, I mean, I could definitely see not having Dom, um, especially because it feels like his career takes a, an insane dip um, this year. Not a lot of matches in general, but then also like... <sighs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I blame, I blame, I blame a game. I blame game. I blame, I blame Evolve here. Like, 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 what the fuck happened? Like, you bring Dom in, and then at first he's just working as like catch points, like goon, and then you do give him like these little bit of opportunities, um, to face a ring conf, give him a Thatcher singles match, and then like he just sort of disappears. Yeah, yeah, I know it doesn't make any sense because he seemed like a guy that they should be completely into. They should want to use. I don't see why the wwe thing would be a reason why they can't use him honestly because i don't see why wwe would be turned off by him he's got the shooter credentials that you would think they'd be into um and even if they aren't going to use him or bring him into nxt he's a guy that you would think you'd want your guys that you have signed working with so he can make them look good i don't know what the issue is but starts out the year looking good especially the catch point goon stuff i thought was was awesome i liked the ring conf match i liked the match with the end the tornado tag i thought was really good um i think it's funny because dom is a guy who i've always been high on and literally i like almost never watch him in what i guess you would call his home promotion in aiw um but like he had a rematch against tom lawler in aiw this year that was really good though and that was about it that i really cared for there um there was the dan severin match but i mean to me it's like dan severin dan severin doesn't quite hit that same fun freak show level that he might hit for other people right now um he's good he's very fun but he doesn't have the the same kind of thing for me um Really great match with Freddie Yehi in Evolve. I probably mentioned that, or you probably mentioned that when we were talking about his Evolve stuff. And some of the tag work was good. The KTB match on Bloodsport I thought was really good. I liked. I actually liked that, I think, probably more than a lot of people. Um, Bone Storm title stuff was all great, especially the matches with Kurt Stallion. Um, the street fight I thought was good. The Jeff Cobb match was great. Um, I thought the way that he, the match that he had with Wheeler Yuta before, and then the angle with dropping the title to Marco Stunt was executed perfectly and really only something that you could do with someone like, uh, uh Dominic Garini. Um, enjoyed the stuff in the men's commonwealth cup i was talking about the commonwealth cup already but the the match with phillips i thought was done really well and then the the match with gresham was also really good um i would like a little bit more um honestly from him and gresham at some point because i really liked that but it felt like kind of a tease in the tournament setting um yeah the uh then the tag team with kevin koo is probably i mean if they had had more matches this year probably ends up on my tag teams of the year list really really love their teaming they they play off of each other super well um just really big badass kickers so thing about dom too is that he's he's right up my alley he's my type of wrestler um so i really am into him but um but not a lot there so it's i can definitely see really easy to overlook him um if you're not kind of right in that sweet spot of seeing most of his matches and going out of your way to watch a lot of his matches and then also um like i said having kind of the predilections to enjoy that that style as much as i do no and i enjoy um that style and like the bits of dom i've seen this year i did really enjoy i liked him um in uh, versus gresham and um commonwealth cup uh 
the the that the Thatcher match. I really liked him in Hot Sauce versus Ringcom. I really liked the Kurt Stallion matches uh, from uh, Sup a lot. Really enjoyed the King Justice uh, revisitation and action. It's just you know really I just haven't seen enough and like you're and like it seems like what you're saying is that in general there just wasn't a lot that Dom was doing this year. It feels like if yeah yeah it just feels like you know it feels like the evolved thing really fucked up Dom's year, which is like sad which is like sad to say but it's like you know if you look at it from Gabe's standpoint or like and I, I have no idea what, what Gabe was thinking here but if you look at it from the standpoint of Dom fit into what would have been the old evolve model. Like he would have been perfect into the into the world of your of Biff and TJP and Thatcher and Hero and Zach and Gulak and Yehi and all that stuff. And then when all those guys are gone, it's like Dom really doesn't fit in anywhere. And like and I, and it's not to say that because I do think Dom was a was adaptable enough as to where he could have had a role in that new evolve. But I feel like Gabe might have been short-sighted and thought that Dom didn't fit in, fit in anywhere anymore. And that's why we saw Dom get sort of de-emphasized and even not get pushed too hard even when Dom was in a ball. Yeah, no, and that's that's probably really true and it really sucks because it just shows how short-sighted someone like Gabe can be who gets a lot of credit for being a, such a great talent scout and such a great eye for the talent and everything. But like he completely overlooked that because I think... And I am not, I'm still high on J.D. Drake. Personally, I like J.D. Drake, but I think Dom can play that same role in the current Evolve better than J.D. Drake can. So it's like, if you can keep someone like that, why would you not be able to have Dom there? You know, that just, it just seems so. Or even like, say, even even for like a more like stylistically apt comparison, like how come like Anthony, Anthony Henry can get such a big push, but like, but Dom can't be there. Right. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think the reason why I compare J.D. Drake is just because I, I think of Dom as a really good brawler. And I, I get where oh, you're right, coming right. from, though, with like the same kind of thing. So, no, totally. I mean, either one of those guys, he could fit. He could really fill a very similar role pretty easily. And on top of that, he could also just fill another role. They've got a half dozen fucking Skulk guys, which, hey, from everything I hear from interviewing Matt on This Week in Wrestling, all of the WWA4 students are really respectful and cool and probably show up and work for Gabe for free, seeing as that seems to be the trick for getting evolved bookings. Um, but Dom is on the level of any of those people. And if you can just have them all around all the time, why can't you have Dom? And maybe that's it. Maybe Dominic's not going to work for free. And maybe, maybe that's just the issue. And we, you know, we can't put it a hundred percent on Gabe, but to me it seems goofy because it would be a great place for him to be getting a chance to really add to that resume this year. Hmm. Uh, my number 18, someone that you mentioned a little bit ago, but Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate, yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's hear about it. You know, Tyler Bate, like... Oh, I guess I should have said where I had know. him. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> where did you have second. him? I had him at 25. All right, so, yeah, we're not that far off at all. But Tyler Bate, you know, sort of similar to AJ. Like, people were, like, ready to write Tyler Bate off this year. As like, you know, he's just fucking around doing the big strong boy stuff and he's goofy, he's going around wearing um fake Versace shirts and looking like Conor McGregor and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you forget, you know, because, you know, wrestling, like we have, like really at this, in, in any fandom at this point nowadays, like we have such short term memories. We're ready to like get someone out of here. Like if they like have like any kind of semblance of like falling off or not delivering, um, what we expect from them, um, every single time out. But you know, Tyler Bates still had, um, 
really what people might still call like the best tag team for the feud of the year versus Undisputed Era. You know, they're matching um, they're matching England, they're match um on the NXT TV tapings, they match uh um at Takeover, all phen- mm-hmm. yeah the the trio stuff, all phenomenal phenomenal matches, and then. What sets them apart and what, like, gets Tyler Bate on the list as opposed to, like, getting Trent Seven on the list is that Tyler Bate has single stuff. And Tyler Bate has awesome single stuff against Mark Haskins and Daisuke Sekimoto and Walter where not only is he, is he facing some of the best wrestlers in the world, I think he's having some of his, like, career-defining career defining performances. And something like the Pete Dunn, Pete Dunn match to actually take over Chicago is, like, that's the defining match in Tyler Bate's career. For me, like the defining performances is what we got this year. We got him having an excellent, excellent performance in that um, takeover match against uh, against Undisputed Era. I thought he had a defining performance against Daisuke Sekimoto, with you know, kind of playing with the whole perception of him is that he's a big, strong boy and he's fucking around and all that stuff, and then he faces Daisuke Sekimoto, who's actually a big, strong boy, and fucks him up. Daisuke Sekimoto, who's actually big and strong, dominates him. And, and in order for Tyler Bates to have any semblance of a chance, he has to do the more athletic stuff that he has in his arsenal. Um, the way he sold the leg against Mark Haskins in the number one contenders match, absolutely phenomenal performance. One of the best selling performances of the year. Uh, the Walter performance at uh, Wembley, an otherwise disappointing, disappointing, like, like t- terrible show. Walter and Tyler Bate go out there and deliver the kind of main event that you would have hoped for from them. You know, a 30-minute typical title match classic. And uh, Tyler Bate sells his ass off, and he times his strongman, strongman spots well, and he sells well um, in this big force that is Walter. And we don't have a lot of Tyler Bate singles matches this year, especially in regards to uh, the NXT stuff. He was more relegated to doing tag team work, but, you know, it's one of the best years of as one of the best years that must Mustache Mountain has had. Uh, it's some of the best performances as a singles guy that Tyler Bate has ever had, and you know, the guy was just on a roll this year. And who knows if Tyler Bate? Um, I completely skipped over the fact that he um he had a uh, the Cassius Ono match from a uh, Super Strong Style, and the fact that he had the uh, Zack Saber Junior match from February, and all that kind of stuff. So deceptively, he has a like a like a pretty good pretty great amount of volume and uh you know it's funny to see him and and pete dunn sort of trade spots this year and that pete dunn was sort of like viewed as like oh yeah like this is like the top guy in um in the um faction he's gonna be the highest ranking guy on the list and then next year you see tyler Bate, who's probably gonna be the highest ranking guy on most of the list and i think having these guys sort of like having like this little competitive rivalry is a little is really is really healthy and seeing Tyler Bate like it reminds you that he is not all the way far gone. With Pete Dunn, I haven't had that many performances where like you know I'm I'm so reminded that Pete Dunn that I fell in love with it, but that I fell in love with is still there. For Tyler Bate, it's like I'm still getting those flashes that the Tyler Bate I fell in love with is still there, and not only that, like the Tyler Bate that I fell in love with is still getting better, and I think he is still showing a whole bunch of growth and potential. Yeah, and it's it's easier for me um, with Bate this year, especially because he didn't feel I was I wasn't in love with Bate yet. So I think honestly, him going and getting signed and kind of seemingly starting to feel himself more, 
um especially with his kind of hbk tribute act it's kind of funny to think about pete dunn is doing a uk triple h and tyler Bate doing a uk hbk um oh yeah, oh yeah i wonder why yeah i wonder what that's all about but um but like uh because i wasn't completely like i didn't really have him set in a certain way in my head and i wasn't like super in love with him as a wrestler yet the same way i was with bait it's easier for me to watch him develop this way and be okay and into it still on top of the fact that he's becoming so much more crisp um he's really shorn up like the maybe some of the weaker stuff in his game his high flying stuff is so much more accurate and perfect here in a way that you don't usually see guys start to get outside of like a dragon gate system if i'm perfectly honest um he really kind of has gotten that level of execution with his high flying recently um and quickly in the nxt kind of system so it's interesting to think like if that's if that's a good sign for the future of flying, for the future of flight, not Ricochet, because um, he's the one and only now, I guess. Um, but for the future of high flyers coming out of NXT, if they're able to produce more people with that kind of precision, um, we'll see if that's if it's a one-off for bait or if it's uh, something that actually happened there. Um, so yeah, like the fact that on top of like kind of growing as a performer, he is also perfecting a lot of his stuff. It made it a lot easier pill to swallow to watch him change, uh, mixed with the fact that like I didn't have him pigeonholed in a certain spot. And it's honestly the good and the bad of the Mustache Mountain Tag Team. Um, in a lot of ways, he's was overshadowed early on uh, by the unit. Um, feeling kind of like he was taking on the characteristics of Trent Seven, and he was kind of in the background, even if he was the better worker of the two, even early on, um, to where now he can kind of come out and shine a little bit more. And I think it's it's probably time to split them, and hopefully soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then and then and then like the thing is like Ty, then Tyler Bate in the year like then like goes like too far, and then like he's like has like these rip, rip away shorts on and the. Like shiny Versace shirts and the sunglasses, it's like, like what the fuck is I going know. on here? Like, are you even a set? Like, like, are you even a team anymore? Yeah, I know like, it's the sing the the single stuff on the UK's indies is is wild. He looks kind of like he's trying to pretend that he's one of the characters from that Dick in a Box video. Like, he looks like Justin Timberlake <laughs> pretending to be a '90s R&B singer, like white <laughs> like white guy R&B singer. At sometimes, it's fucking crazy the level of just ridiculous that he's going for. But you know, I mean, he can still go. And you talk about then when he turns it on. I mean. You take the same stupid level of pageantry, but you take it the right way in the the Sakimoto match coming out with the um, the the robe and just it felt bigger now. And then comparatively, Sakimoto's got the robe too, so it was very on point there. I I really loved that a lot. Um, yeah, just solid performances, especially like the Roderick Strong. Him and Roderick Strong have a uh, a chemistry um, in the tag matches, and then they had a singles match that's uh, really impressive. I think that they they match up super well just because they're both freaks, you know, just who can do so much stuff um, and just in different ways, but they match up super well. Um, but Tyler really can work with anyone. Um, did you see the Matt Riddle match from the Progress Coast to Coast stuff? Yeah, I did like it. I didn't love it, but it because it felt like a greatest hits match. But it was still yeah. Great. That's kind of my thing was that I liked that it it kind of showed off a 
kind of a greatest hits thing as Riddle was kind of feeling like he was winding down on the indies, and so it, it they worked. They did like did a good job for doing that, like putting something like that together to just be like almost like a farewell kind of type of match thing. I thought that was cool. Um, you know, it's not, it's not great, but just like a little wrinkle um in his career. Just so yeah, I mean, obviously developing still becoming could be the next thing could be big i mean and it's it's interesting to think you talk about like that match at the chicago takeover and being the first uk champion that stuff could be an albatross around his neck um to kind of be like you said like that's the defining his career um it's so early but i think he's still got room to to spread his wings and continue to grow beyond that so uh that that was your 18 your 18 yeah so my 18 is Shane Strickland. Yeah, no, no, not have no Shane. Shane Strickland. Um, I could see why maybe he was only. I didn't, I didn't see, a, I didn't see, a, I didn't see a lot yeah, of Shane. So because he was, he was all the American Indies this year, which was interesting because the last couple of years he was popping up in UK Indies here and there and having some good matches. Um, but not really much at all this year was he sh- he showed up in he showed up in OTT maybe once or twice but you know with all that he just sort of like gave up and gave that territory to David, territory to, um, territory to David Starr and you know he just focused on being um you know uh becoming a bigger more polished star as far as um the US went and then it starts to make sense when you uh hear rumors that he may he may be on his way to WWE yeah and it makes sense cuz he's ready uh, for it i mean he's developed into a big time star um really shown another guy who's shown complexity in his character going back and forth from heel to baby face um great champion in mlw really set that title up into to meaning something pretty quickly on um dropping the title to loki was questionable in the beginning and then i think that they've hit their stride again with loki finally as champion so that's been okay but it really you know it felt like he was a really good kind of precedent to set that up he really felt like an over baby face everyone in the crowd loved him the like swerve's house chant was ubiquitous so everyone really saw him as the guy um so that i think he would i think he would have been i think he was on his way to becoming like a really good like almost zach type like a good like nwa like almost like touring type top guy champion at least at least that's what i was getting from um when he showed up in pwx to face darius lockhart and then like after that we don't get that many glimpses of that side of Shane or what, or, or what Shane could be if he decided to be that. Right. And that's the thing is where you had to be, you had to be focusing on the right places for Shane because like a place he was in the same role as like Trevor Lee was maybe last year or the year before in AAW where it was like, they'd bring him in, he'd do some stuff, but he didn't matter. And then like, that was kind of what they would do with him. And AAW does that with a lot of guys. But if you were paying attention to like, and I wasn't even paying attention great, really close to Defy. He was doing a lot of great work there. If you're paying close attention to MLW, he was really becoming something. This The quick run in Evolve, um, which was like just completely turning gears, was very interesting. He was doing phenomenal work there. Um, so yeah, the PCW out here has brought him in a couple times and he leaps off the page. I mean, he just always feels like larger than life, huge star. Um I think that he shored up his game a lot, adapting in the arm work stuff. I think he's still not flawless at the kind of grappling arm work stuff that he's added, but he has made it work really well um, and kind of 
developed that into a really solid side of his game to where people, I think not just people, me, even me personally buy into him um, as, as a grappler and arm technician, a guy who goes for arm work and stuff like that had a remarkably interesting kind of showings um, in the crash and other Mexican promotions, but primarily the crash is the only one that I pay attention to. Um, I can't make any big arguments for his case on that, but just again, speaks to the star presence always has big star presence um always kind of in in the game especially against a lot of really skilled you know flying luchadors he's able to keep up and something about something about shane is that like he's able to come across as such a star in like without being a without being a pwg at all right and you know that's something a lot of people can't do or they can't be a star too long without eventually going to pwg like eventually um you know a guy that we both have um and then we might be talking about soon and darby allen is that darby was doing his thing and then eventually wound up wind up coming into evolve i mean not evolve i mean pwg um yeah um relatively um uh uh um uh recently what i'm looking for yeah recently yeah. <laughs> i'm relatively recently coming in and uh coming in and working um, in PWG. And Shane had his chance last year facing Dez, and he just hasn't been back since, but that didn't stop Shane at all. No, no, and hey, I mean, <laughs> you know, I actually did. I was mentioning him on the Torch podcast with Rich Fan, and, uh, you know, Rich likes to tweet out little quotes from the show to get people engaged, and one of them was, you know, who would I like to see in Bola this year? And I said, you know, one of the wrestlers was Shane Strickland, and Shane responded like, no, I'm fine. I don't want to be there. And I think that is, like, it speaks to that. I think he likes being his own man in some ways and feeling like he built his star power, his star presence without them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a guy who really showed that you can come almost from nothing because i mean there is no i i would say me and you started having grumblings of it in 2016 uh, yeah like, like early 2016 we were like eh, shane strickland's like kind of getting good yeah and like there's something to him and then throughout 2017 it continues to bubble i thought that he had great matches in progress and then you know all like midway and then all through until now like he's been just the guy you know he feels like a huge star and i can't point to a moment where it happened i can't point to Mm -hmm. what made this other than just like it was was really your yeah other than like it just happened he just made it happen and like that does speak to something really cool that he figured out a way to make himself a star with just consistent work his presentation and just you know getting a few big time matchups here and there all right, my number 17. I don't remember if you said this person or not, uh, but I can't imagine it's on your list, obviously. But my number 17 is Kyle Fletcher. Uh, Kyle Fletcher, no, not quite, but we'll get to him in just a little bit. Um, my uh, number 17, I think you did already say, is Jeff Cobb. I had Jeff Cobb at, uh, I believe it was 41. Okay. So big drop off for Jeff Cobb for me this and year. And I guess I can understand it. Um, I love Jeff Cobb. Everyone knows that. There's no question about that. Jeff Cobb is a guy who I've probably seen. I've probably seen Jeff Cobb live more than almost any wrestler just because of a mix of being super into him and being a guy that I will go out of my way to go to shows to see. And also that he wrestles a lot in Southern California and has for a long time and California in general. 
Um, but even that said, I haven't seen it. I didn't really see him that much live this year, uh, to be perfectly honest, because I didn't go to a lot of wrestling this year. But if if it wasn't for that and just like how much I'm into him, I could definitely understand having a drop off for him this year. But I felt like this year was sh- not shaky for him in the beginning, but really his his normal level of output that I love um, but then I really felt like he put it all together in a way where I could understand not having him rocket up your list, um, to like the level where I have him out of nowhere, if you weren't already kind of into him. But for me, it was like, it was a big jump in the quality of his connection and again, star power and the way that he worked and everything that's been kind of the biggest knock on him from people, right. That he doesn't. He's not engaging and he doesn't have any personality. I felt like he had some real big time showings of that this year um, towards the middle and the end. But even then, I think that like people overlook the stuff like I thought Jeff Cobb was fucking great in the three, two, one battle rumble. Like he I felt like he legitimized the rumble in a a big way and really kind of made it feel like, I don't know, more serious because he was in there. Um, So like. That was like something early in the year. And I think it's overlooked because not a lot of people pay attention to stuff like that or would even care. And it's like a rumble. But it's like it does show that like he has presence and he has aura. And he isn't just like a no nothing, like a nothing guy that doesn't have personality and just grapples or whatever. I thought that all the stuff with wrestling in AAW, he was like kind of the the backbone of that group. David was really good. Um as the mouthpiece, but I felt like Cobb was bringing up the wrestling and the, the kind of having not just the wrestling, but also being the heater, which is kind of why I like him in general. Cause he's got that mix of both cool things. That is not always the case. Um, a lot of guys are usually one or the other, like you'll have the good wrestler, but they won't be the, the powerhouse of the group. And he's able to serve both roles and just really feel super dominant. And so it helps to legitimize uh, wrestling a lot in AAW as like a force. The Jonah Rock match, I mean, for me, is probably in my conversation for the best PWG matches of the year. Um, I really, really loved that match. Uh, it probably won't be one of my one of my just best matches of the year in general, but really great match. And then I saw him the next night have a fantastic match with Tyler Bateman for the AWS title. So that's like that was live, and you may not. Um, may- and, and even and even best PWG matches of the year, like you can't talk about that without talking about like you know him versus Darby Allen from Bola. Well, yeah, and that's what I'll get into. I mean, that was my match of Bola, um, and that's where I'm saying like he really, I think, really showed character and more emotion to the match, and you could really get into it. So it's just like kind of, yeah, I just think it's crazy to not appreciate that from him. Uh, the Minoru Suzuki match, obviously, I I punish him even more for that because I felt like he was what made that, or he let himself look really bad there, and he shouldn't have. Um, so that's like that's definitely a knockoff. Dropping the titles to the Rascals, loved the match. Thought you know the three way with the Young Bucks as well. Um, loved the you know the Chosen Bros in general the entire time. So it's just like really cool stuff there. Um, I like the, I like their DTTI run. Yes. The DTTI run. Um, I just, you know, it does kind of suck that in WXW, he ends up tagging with, uh, Angelico. Um, I was not as big of a fan of that, but you know, they tried to do some of the same spots and it just like, it really felt like trying to round a round peg in a square hole or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. so that just, that definitely didn't work for me. But yeah, then he starts getting some shots in in New Japan. Has the match with Goto that 
I really liked. Um, in front of a dead crowd, I really yeah, liked it. Yeah, and that and that building was huge. I, I was there too. I wasn't in the building for that match though. Um, but um, but that building was huge and very empty, <laughs> and so and I couldn't imagine by the time I got there it was that bad. Like how it was early on uh, when there were people probably weren't even in the building yet. Um, QPW match with uh, Adam Thornstow, which again probably no one's seen, but Thornstow was looking good this year and Cobb also. Um, so that match was really fucking great mix between those two who've got a lot of um history with each other they really they have great charisma in the ring with each other or not uh, you know chemistry with each other in the ring they know each other super well um just sucks that thornstow doesn't really get any representation he's not amazing but i think he could get a little bit more love from people in general the devlin match in in fight club pro another one where he shows a lot of personality and i think has a really phenomenal match there um the uh there's an apw title match against jacob fatu that's really good um king of indies his match with jacob fatu which i got to see live on that one too was fantastic um so yeah then there's the bola obviously winning the whole thing and i think by the end feeling i do think that it felt in the building like bandito should have won but i also think that he presented himself super well to where it was not in any way a letdown um it felt like every one of his matches was good even the trevor lee you know out of nowhere flash finish um but the darby allen match and, 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 go ahead and we talked about it like jeff cobb just like if we're like a couple like just thinking a couple of months ahead just makes more sense right. like it's not like you can't go back to bandito as like you know we're gonna make him the top guy like a few months a few months later on but doing jeff cobb versus walter and jeff cobb winning and then going back to Jeff like Jeff Cobb versus Bandito for the PWG title just makes more sense. Yeah, no, no, then and that's it. And it's it works, and I think that it also is gonna work even more now when you play off of then he shows up in ROH, and that's where I think he's really ready to shine. I mean, he's putting it together, he's got the swagger, he's got the championship on his first day, he beats Punishment Martinez in resounding fashion, and then I really liked the Shane Taylor TV match already. I thought that that was really good. Um, and then those things have that you 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 just saw it yes earlier, and I saw it last night. The absolute banger he has with Adam Page at final yeah. battle. So I think that he's put it together, and it's right at the perfect time where he's got the ROH title, you know, the TV title. He's got the chance for a title shot in pwg and it's right at the perfect time to capitalize on all of that where he's really putting it all together so on top of having phenomenal output for me and yes i will 100 percent say that like there is something to the fact that i see jeff cobb live a lot and i think that he's a small room worker that doesn't translate as well to tape um his charisma is subtle or it was subtle in a way that I don't think you get that. You just don't get the cool vibe that he has and his cool demeanor as well on tape that you do in person. There's just something about him that's he's, you know, I, I it probably comes from being like having, you know, a foreigner heritage where he's this crazy jock, but he's like, he's also got the cockiness. Like he is similar to Matt Riddle in the personality type, but because he's, you know, comes from an Island and he's not just what you think of as like the stereotypical bully from school when you were a kid, because we grew up in America, there is something where you still like him. He still seems nice. He seems genuine, you know? Yeah. And so it's just this really awesome mix. But then now that, 
that swagger is coming through even more and more on tape it feels like and it's he's poised to leap off so it's like that's for me too is the 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 last minute development of feeling like he's really coming into his own is also part of what kind of bumped him up the list for me but i think he's also probably down from last year um last year i had him at number six because i just thought that his output and level of quality yeah, he had a crazy he had, he had a crazy output yeah and year. for me i think he ended up having like two or three matches in my top five matches of the year so it's like yeah that was i mean he was a crazy year for him last year this year very good but not quite the same level of output you know really jeff cobb has been like sort of like a lightning rod in our group chat throughout the entire year oddly enough like out of all the things to have like these like real um serious discussions about jeff cobb seems to be um at the center of um, at the center of a lot of them that we've had and Something that me and you said in defense of Jeff Cobb and um say like um our good friend Jamesy who's uh been um sort of down on Jeff Cobb and really just like been vocal about it this year on Twitter and um with us is that if you're looking for Jeff Cobb to be the monster like that's never what Jeff Cobb has been and I think looking for him to be that is a bit a little bit unfair because he's never went out there to try to be Walter or Vader or anything like that. Jeff Cobb is more like Scott Steiner because he's no Mr. Athletic. He's a freak of nature. He's an actual like Olympian level athlete and he's superhuman strong. That doesn't mean he's a monster. And I think that like that desire to want him to be something other than he is, is sort of like, um, you know, when I used to defend Matt Riddle, you know, when people wanted Matt Riddle to be like um, this almost like shoot machine and I'm like, well, Matt Riddle doesn't necessarily want to be that. Like, you can't, like, project what you want this guy to be onto him. He can only be, like, what he's been this whole time. And, you know, you don't have to like it. But it's not like he's doing anything wrong by, you know, being that thing. And I think Jeff Cobb being, like, more Scott Steiner than Vader isn't a bad thing. Because that's what Jeff Cobb's whole, like marketing and presentation has been literally since Jeff Cobb has had any kind of notoriety. He's Mr. Athletic. Yeah, no. And that is the, I mean, that is the point. And he's, he's also got like the, like I said, the cool swagger and, and he's like, he, like he, he, he wears the Letterman jackets and all that. He's a jock. He's Scott Stein. Like, and, yeah. like if, and if you wanted, if you, if you wanted to be something else, like cool, fine. Like the Matanza stuff exists, but like Jeff Cobb himself, like that's not who he is right. in, you know, it's not a thing where you have to like shut up and take it. Like you don't have to like anything, but you do have to face the reality of it and do realize that you're projecting your own hopes and desires over someone still effectively being what they're trying to do. And Jeff Cobb still for three years, four years, however long he's been prominent has been doing just fine and doing just well for himself being Mr. Athletic from the Islands. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, it is, it's, it's a hundred percent that. And and I get it because the Matanza stuff is there and I loved the Matanza stuff early on. So I get wanting for like expecting more of that, but I don't know what, what the ceiling is for that really. And I, I, this Jeff Cobb, I, we will see what the ceiling can be. You know what I mean? Wrestling's a different landscape, but Scott Steiner did pretty well for himself. He had to develop kind of the whole crazy over the top character, but who knows? Like wrestling is different. It's a whole different outlet like kind of it's a whole different landscape in general so right and my 16 is ach oh we'll talk about him at another time my 16 that is insane considering how i know much you've critiqued ach matter of fact (laughs) because um 
Perfect. We'll get to it, but wow, I'm shocked. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that he he really had it this year, man. There's just like my issues with him were pretty much gone for the most part this year. Like, yeah, I can't think of a single time he did any of the stuff that really irks me. I mean, when we get into it, we'll get into it. But all right, my 16. I think you already said Tony Storm. And I had Tony Storm, I believe at yeah, 44. So, for me, Tony, I think, is probably my highest female wrestler. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, kind of intentional. I think that, for me, she's the best wrestler, probably best women's wrestler outside of Japan. Um, she's kind of the got-the-matches-to-prove-it person, um, just with the output level when it comes to women's wrestling. Um, like I said, not Joshi, but... Just like women's wrestling around. I mean, she does have Japanese matches and she has good quality stuff there. Uh, particularly the time limit draw with Mako that um, I really liked. Uh, I liked um, I liked the Kagetsu title switch. Yeah. Um, I liked the, the match with Viper. Um, I liked... Uh, I liked some of the tag stuff with B Priestley. Um, not great, but just kind of adds to her her argument and then also like the tag stuff with zaya brookside so like for japan she's got some stuff um outside of japan i mean obviously that's where she makes most of her case um really i really enjoyed the title switch um to killer kelly early i thought that it helped build it honestly helped kind of build kelly in a weird way um moving forward out of that um it really gave her a chip on her shoulder that i think she kind of needed um, and I think that that helped to add some depth to Kelly. Um, really, I mean, shows up throughout the years in progress um, and feels like, I don't know, I mean, good championship run in progress. The stuff with the House of Couture got a little bit convoluted, but again, that's booking. Her performances, I always felt were on point, um, but a little bit, in, like, a little bit uh, sparse. I think that she, for being the champion for, you know, a good chunk of the year, she really didn't have a lot of great defenses or really show up as much as she could have. But again, that's on progress. It's not really her fault. They're the ones booking it that way. Um, great stuff in Eve. Um, tag team match with uh, with Charlie Morgan against Kaylee Ray and Sammy Jane that I really loved. Uh, all four women who probably end up making my top 100. Um, Kaylee Ray really kind of turned down the output this year, unfortunately, for someone who's very good. Um, but what she did show up for were she had some awesome matches. Um, do you have Kaylee on your list this year? No, there just wasn't enough yeah. of her. Like, there, there, she, just didn't, she rarely, rarely de-emphasized yeah. herself. But but really, when she showed up, she was really good. She was really good in that match. Um, she had a singles match with B Priestley and Eve that was pretty good. Um, singles match with Jetta that was awesome. And she just really shows up. Um, Tony always shows up, no matter who she's with. It's another one similar to Jordan. It's like it's the level of person she's in there with. But when she has someone um, to really mix it up with, I mean, like someone like a Killer Kelly, they have great chemistry together. Uh, the Laura Diamateo match from Progress. Um, really showed off that side of her too. Her May Young Classic run winning, eventually winning. Um, obviously she was so good the whole way through. Um, you know, 
they set her up in a lot of ways to kind of be a, almost felt like Joshi killer, um, which was an interesting thing to do with her, especially because, you know, they didn't really emphasize. Like, I would have thought they would have emphasized more on like kind of pushing the fact that she spent time in Japan and she's wrestling a lot of women that she's familiar with from Japan. And and they just really didn't talk about any of that, um, which was, I mean, obviously probably on purpose. I don't know why. Um, but then the final was, I thought, super well done really made it feel like a big win um huge deal for her to take out eo and eo was not she was not as good as everyone i think was kind of making it out to be in this tournament or i think she delivered at the level people should have expected um it was just what just last year that there was talks that she was not going to be able to wrestle anymore i mean it, it was with eo though i feel like you know i feel like you know in that tournament no one has ever like just like gone absolutely crazy in the May Young in the May Young right. Classic. You know, I feel like people wanted wanted that from EO, but realistically, like who is she facing? Like people that may like probably can't keep up with like the kind of stuff that she does because at the same time this year, she's having the, these matches with the uh, Momo Watanabe that are a lot more uh, brutal and fast paced than a lot of what she was doing in the May Young Classic against people like um. Uh, Again, uh, against uh, Tony and Rhea Ripley and the other people that she um were facing in earlier rounds. Right. No. Yeah. And and I thought that the final delivered though, and I think that she really was in the right role in the end for the final to really to mm. really it was a good match. Yeah, and to really help put over Tony coming out of it. Uh, UK title tournament, obviously, I thought was great when I talked about uh, Rhea Ripley side of things, but Tony was, you know, her dance partner for the end, and I think that they did a good job setting her up as well. Um, with Tony, I thought the match oh, even good. even Tony versus Shayna, like you know, I, I wish that you know I've mentioned it before with um with the Shayna section is that you know, I really kind of wish that they would have gave Tony a takeover match because I feel like with the way she um, wrestled in that uh um Shayna match from the UK tournament stuff that. Tony would have been a perfect person to introduce on NXT TV and maybe get a great takeover match out yeah. of her. No, no. I mean, that's 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 kind of the crowning achievement for her for me at the end of the year. Um, or I mean, not the end of the year, but for her year, the kind of crown jewel is that match with Shayna that I think probably ends up in my top three matches of the year even still. Um, mm. I just adored that match completely. I thought that it was the perfect worlds colliding situation between these two characters who are just so perfectly diametrically opposed but so similar in the right ways when it comes to just the level of kind of violence and and just aggression that came out of the whole thing and when you can capture something like that and you can deliver that level of match on top of everything else that you have like you're it's going to do well for for me on my list um and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off Evan, piss off our friend Evan a little bit here, but you know when I talked about like Kanosuke Takashita becoming like this overall package of a wrestler, and a lot of it is like seeing him have these like selling performances against Mike Bailey and uh, Shima in matches. I think Tony is getting there too, and she had those and she had those performances like you know stepping up against Michael Satomura and getting a little chippy and violent and nasty. Uh, her selling in the Rhea Ripley NXT Women's um, NXT UK Women's Tournament Final. Her selling against uh, Shayna Baszler in their title match. You know, it's okay to think Tony Storm is formulaic, but I do think that she had performances this year where you really saw that, you know, even if her style isn't your thing, 
she is the complete package nonetheless. Yeah, and I think part of it too that gets overlooked is that again, I talk about it I talked about it already, you talk about it a bunch, but like the quality of opponent she's going against, it's hard to vary your style that much when you don't have always the top level at like other wrestlers that you're going against, but when she has the chance to, she shows that she does have that varied game when it's a situation where she can get away with it, she will. Um but she's not always in that setting, but you know, when she can, she does and and I think she does a really good job of tailoring her selling and her work to who she's up against really well and i think that she's really kind of the canvas for a lot of women's wrestlers in a lot of ways she's or not really the canvas but like she's the the standard and the benchmark and so a lot of other workers other women's wrestlers get to really test their level and where they're at against her um so it just really goes um the only drawback i have that i would really say about tony storm right now is that talking wise she's just not a great talker and nxt uk keeps making her talk and she's just not that's not her strong suit she's just not a a strong talker and that doesn't just go back to my issues with australian accents because i'm pretty much fine with australian accents now i've learned to accept (laughs) them but she's just not a great promo and that's like the only drawback for tony storm to me all right well Looking at the time, we've gone way longer than I expected to for the second part, and I actually do have to work in the morning, uh, unexpectedly. So oh, I think right now, almost, yeah, I think right now this is perfect because I are, did mention it to you yesterday. But I feel like this is perfect for me because my top fifteen is like everyone I've had a case for for being my number one. So I like to do them as a as a block. And right now it looks like we're gonna have to cut this right here at our sixteens, and we're gonna be doing our fifteen to number ones in the next installment. Thank you all for listening. See you all in the next episode. I just hope that they right. All I am is everything and nothing at all. All I am is shoulder for your heart to lean on. All I am is love. All I am is love. I know everyone goes someday. I know my body's fragile, know it's made from clay. But if I have to go, I pray my soul is still eternal. And my mama don't forget about me. I pray my mama.